You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Zach and Vigo. That's Zach Zucker and Vigo Venn and also their director, Johnny Woolley. And not, as I believe I erroneously call him, Johnny Tucker, confusing him partially with Zach Zucker's comedy character, Jack Tucker. Confused? You will be. But honestly, by the end of this episode, and I've just chucked out the whole 90 minutes, uh, I haven't put anything on the Insiders feeds. I want every single person to hear all of this. I bounced out of this interview just full of joy and laughter and the fact that they're just so good at using a negative as a positive. We talk near the end of this conversation about how their whole spirit is to, when something goes wrong, they're clowning, they all trained, they met at Golier. Um, and they're all about 25. I think Vigo's a bit older, but Jesus, disgusting. Um, they, they're they so talented and energetic and excited about comedy. And towards the end of this conversation, we were talking about how their whole spirit is that when something goes wrong, they go, yes. And uh, <laughs> that is such an infectiously joyful and funny way to approach the whole gig, uh, to approach the whole of comedy and the whole of their actual practical lives. Um, I'm thrilled to bring you this one. We're going to launch straight into it in a moment. And uh, I'll tell you something else funny later on that happened at the end of this. Before I do, here's a bit of a shout out. Do you know the dollop? Do you remember way back over 150 episodes ago, I had Dave Anthony on the podcast when I was recording at the LA Podcast Festival. Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds, brilliantly, brilliantly funny American comic brackets from Stourbridge somehow. Um, but they do this show called The Dollop. And if you haven't heard The Dollop, you must hear The Dollop. The premise is very, very simple. Uh, Dave Anthony prepares a story from American history and uh, Gareth doesn't know it, doesn't know what it's going to be. And then the the show is... Dave reads it out and him and Gareth riff on it. It's so, so simple and constantly funny. I'm wetting myself when I listen to it, um, which is difficult because I listen to podcasts in the car. Um, But that's the system and uh, they are bringing it to the UK on tour for the first time. So please don't miss it. They're going to be in Glasgow, Cardiff, Manchester, Birmingham. And they recently added a second show in London on the 22nd of November. According to the information Dave sent me, uh, that suggests... Uh, that the first one sold out. I wouldn't be surprised. Please don't miss the dollop. Um, in advance of the tour, they've also released a special 10-episode dollop podcast dedicated to UK history called The Dollop, England and the UK. That's the blurb. Just do me a favour and go and see it live. They are so, so funny. Dave is such a cantankerous fucker and uh, really, really funny. And Gareth is one of those people who just 
gets what's funny about him. You know the way Tim Key or John Kearns just have that spirit where inside them, and it's true of Zach and Vigo as well, they just have that that little click where they go, oh, that's what's funny about me. I'll just do that. Well, Gareth's one of them. So the two of them, Dave and Gareth together, are absolutely unstoppable. I urge you to listen to the show, to listen to the UK version of it as well, and don't miss those tickets. Go to gigsandtours.com. That's all three words written out longhand, gigsandtours.com, to get your tickets for the dollop live in the UK. Good. I'm glad you're all on board with that. And now, as you can hear, I cannot contain the excitement in my voice as I bring you this conversation with the very funny, very fun, Zach, Vigo and Johnny. Tell me what you've been up to. What? So, I saw, I saw Thunderflop the other yes. night. So, Thunderflop. So, we have on the couch. We have on the, he's literally on the couch for the first time ever. Yeah. We have Zach and Vigo, and we have Johnny Tucker. Uh, <laughs> no way, Johnny Tucker. No way, yeah. no way. Go on. So, tell me what what the so you you direct. But, so yeah, it's Johnny Woolley. Oh, Johnny Woolley. Oh, <laughs> God, Christ, Johnny Tucker. There's the character that's insane. There we go. <laughs> it's oh fine. dear, I'll come no, in again. Yeah, take that out, Stu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take out it, dude. I take out everything that makes me sound as fucking risible as I am. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I'm. I so I direct and co-write almost everything that we make, um, and then we. This Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> this Vigo hasn't written anything. <laughs> Not his life. So we met, we met very recently. We met in Montreal. Yeah, we met at the Just for Last Festival. And let's point that out so everyone knows we went there. Oh, hello, industry. <laughs> What's up, industry? We're there. What's up? <laughs> How was that? You were really excited to be there, I think. Yeah. yeah Montreal. Think- that felt like a, does that feel like a step? That's like, oh. This is this is a thing. Yeah, the first trip. That was definitely a milestone for us. We've been we've been yeah. submitting by ourselves for four years, and nobody obviously nobody ever accepted us. And then uh, our manager got us in this year, slipping in that we have a manager. Nice. And, and I think I think everyone was pretty shocked that we were there. We were shocked that we. we were there. Yeah. I didn't even know I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and it just showed up. Yeah. And and for people who are not familiar with your work, tell us what sort of thing it is that you do. Go on, descri- self self describe. Mm. Uh, <laughs> physical comedy, kind of, kind of. It's clown. not all physical. No, clownish stuff, but it's not like nose or makeup or like ooh, wacky. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, bit, it's a little bit. It's a bit. It's a bit <laughs> okay, to be fair, it is. It's just it's it's tough. I think we have this complex where every time we try and explain it, it just never sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had an idea because like every time. People ask us what we do. We have to be like, it's clown, but it's not that clown. Like, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. So we're thinking maybe for the next Zach and Vigo show, we should just make exactly what people think it is. Yeah. 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 Red nose, big silly hair, huge shoes. In order to make it easier. It's a clown show. What you're thinking of is precisely that. It's it's exactly that and worse. I think that's going to make things a lot easier. (laughs) Potential show title, Zach and Vigo, exactly what you're imagining. (laughs) We're making upside clown clowning around. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think in parentheses, the final clown down. Oh, wow. Just go for it, right? Yeah. We, it's it's a pain in the ass to have to explain it all the time because we don't know what it is. But before I was really ashamed of saying clown, but now I say clown and I just wait for all the jokes. Yeah, yeah. people yeah, sure. have to be like, oh, do you squirt flowers? And I, I like say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big shoes, yeah. It's yeah. traditional big shoe clown. Especially because then we, we wear the lycra like sort of jumpsuits in our shows as well. Yeah. And then everyone goes, oh, so if you want to be a clown, do you have to wear spandex? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and people, because we have the big Z and the V on our chest, 
everyone calls Vigo, all the funny guys call him Vagina Man. That's <laughs> pretty funny. Veggie. Veggie. Oh, Virgin Man. Virgin Man. Yeah. They love it. The the thing I I mean having seen like ten minutes I saw you do your your warm up spot you remember in that little club in like yeah, was it yeah. the Nest or something in um, in Montreal like that, yeah. you were doing like uh, everyone gets to the festival and then everyone's going all oh, right so in three nights I'm doing my TV taping or my gala set or whatever so I've got you get they they give you like two gigs to warm up and one gig where the person with the bit of paper and your transcript ticks off all of your cultural references and makes sure you're not swearing uh, <laughs> presumably like did you have to give a transcript. Oh no, I don't know if you were aware, but we we weren't doing the galas. Okay, we're doing <laughs> no, no, not on TV. We were not no. warming up for anything. I was there for the yeah, yeah. free food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also got a bottle of wine from yeah, that. Yeah. Just hoovering the buffet along the way. Okay. Oh yeah. But I was when like I, to crush, yeah. When I saw when I saw that that ten minute set, it was so great. And you you closed uh, you have that ability because what you do is so different and so high energy and so ridiculous. And, you know, all the sound cues as well. Um, like, Johnny, as a, you're not just the director. You're a very active contributor to the show. You're yeah. constantly, like, the, the timing on your sound cues when you're, like, trying to screw them up and yeah. put them up. You know what I mean? There's, a, there's an active game going on there, right? Yeah, and then we're, we're all playing together in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you headlined a bill of really incredible acts all yeah. doing, yeah. All doing their, their seven-minute gala sets to get ready. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, I absolutely agree. It is hard to define what you do. It's, you're one of those acts who, if you d describe it, you have to, you know, as a person recommending it to people, I have to go, oh, it's kind of, exactly as you say, it's kind of clowning, but not all, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's something else. When I saw the, the double act here in, um, uh, forgive me, Johnny, the triple act. Uh, when <laughs> I saw you. you here in the... Uh, actually, let's strike that double act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw you here at, uh, at the Underbelly, it's your territory, right? I mm. walked in, the queue was huge, the queue was buzzing, everyone was like, it's these guys. You started, and I went, oh, everyone in this room has seen this show multiple times. That's how it felt. Yeah. So this enormous energy of like, it's these guys, whoa, you know. So I, I kind of thought, like, people have been telling me for a few years, how many Edinburgh's have you done now? This is our fifth Five, one, yeah. And you have got that kind of Rolling Stone sort of, whoa, you're kind of gathering a crowd, right? And please, just let's let's make sure everyone just rewinds and hears that again. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean literally in the metaphor, not the uh, organisation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you are building an audience who are so yeah. hyped to be there and presumably come back and come back. And I felt... Uh, I didn't quite feel irrelevant, but I felt old. I was like, oh, this is what the young people have been doing. <laughs> Everyone in this room is 20 and they're losing their minds over this show. So talk to me about that, about when you first came here. Like, was it your... <laughs> yes. Dude, we first came here, we were in the basement of a gay bar called CC Blooms. Oh, this gay bar in town. p.m. There were credit card salesmen outside of our venues, so like... It's almost impossible to flyer. No one wants to be even on that side of the road. Every, like everyone's on lunch, on their lunch break. Like yeah, we flyer people going to work. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> the, the what the first the first three or first two weeks maybe we had about one to three people a night. I remember one show I'll never forget. We did to a Brazilian nanny yeah. who didn't speak much English, a two year old child, and about a ten month year old. And then at one point, the two year old started doing finger guns at me and went bang bang. So I was like, okay, and shot him back, he immediately started crying. <laughs> and then within a minute, fell asleep. The nanny took the kid out just to like, I don't know, get him some water or something. And it was just the three of us and a 10-month-old baby in a stroller. 
that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah we really made it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was really sick. And, and, and it started like, I, I think our shows originally had but, this. But I have to say though, yeah. <clears throat> we flyed people, we were like, Flyer one can come here, then Zach come further down the road, then I come here, and then some oh. people who saw it there still come now because those shows were also crazy. They were insane. Yeah. I mean, we would do anything. Vigo was running into poles to get people's attention. We were stopping traffic. Okay, and, to and, fly them. Do you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Just, also, like people who saw that show, the, the Rada guy, for example. Yeah, he came back. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it was yeah you guys are doing like real street performance stuff just to get people into the venue at that hour. I mean you had to do a whole show before the show basically. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. Work. We haven't been up. We haven't. I mean aside from this, we haven't been up before maybe two or three p.m. once in the last four years since we oh, had to. Oh wow! So, I very much appreciate you coming. Uh, I'm sorry. No, 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 sorry. No, no, no. I mentioned I recorded Jamal after his show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand now how much that would upset you. No, but it's it was it was crazy because we were out there from like ten till twelve every day, and then usually from. At like around twelve twenty eight, I would go and chat to the people who were in the venue, and then you would do a last minute three to five minutes of just trying to get anybody we could into this venue. And the people there were amazing, and everyone who came was so nice. We we what we were pretty down on ourselves, and then we started doing these late night spots at the Tron Kirk. Yeah. We we came up on the burlesque and cabaret scene. Uh, they were the ones who first embraced. Us. They were the only people that would book us. <laughs> and it was like an opportunity to actually perform to like. 250 people a night there. Right? Yeah, sure. So that was actually getting us some exposure. And I mean, we crushed those. Uh, it was great. People would actually come from that at 1230. Yeah. In this fucking basement in Newtown. <laughs> like somehow people actually. Yeah, the last, last three shows were 50 people. Yeah, we yeah. Start, towards the end, we were starting getting about maybe 20 people a night, 30 people. And then we got two extra shows, which we were like, oh my God, we got an extended run at the Sushi Blues. It's really at 5 o'clock. At 5.30, and we're like, wow, it's the prime time. But yeah. someone just pulled out because they were sick. Sure. Yeah. But great. They, it's all about those great. opportunities. Zach instantly put extended run. Yeah. I did, yeah. That's a classic Zach old school producer move. I was like, extended run. Yeah, sold yeah, out yeah, Edinburgh great. Fringe. Okay. Sold zero tickets. Yeah. And you are, for people for whom it's not immediate apparent from your voices, immediately apparent from your voices, you're very young. Like, you're, what are you, 26? You I'm 26. Said? You're 26. So you came here and did a run when you were 21. Yeah. Yeah. 20, yeah. yeah. I, I just I was, turned 22, I think. I just turned 20, I yeah, think. Yeah, Jesus. And Vigo, you're a little older. I'm 30, yeah. yeah. He's 30, I'm 24. Yoinks. Yeah. Old, I was here old man Vigo. Two years before, just watching stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did stand-up before, and then a Norwegian comic that's here this year just recommended me to see, like, all these different comics, like Sansa Eamon, Stuart Lee, and sure. Dr. Brown, and... Okay. That's why I saw an underbelly and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Okay. So look, give me, give us your kind of timeline of how you met and how it came together and how you settled on the thing you do. Well, we all uh, dropped out of university. Yeah. We all, funny enough, found out that we were class presidents out of just to prove a point. And then once we found out we had responsibility, all three of us quit. Yeah. <laughs> we all, and then we all went to college. For, Vigo was in college to be an economist. Yeah. Uh, I was at a theater school in Canada. Zach was... I, was at a, I, was at, I dropped, dropped out of like three colleges. I dropped out of the same community college in LA three times. Second okay. college, what up? Oh, community college dropout. That's like three, three times. times. <laughs> multiple community and left, college dropout. And then I also left an acting school as well. Yeah. Okay. And then... Because why were you dropping out of everywhere? What was the... I, I used the community college to move to LA because my parents wouldn't let me go to go to Los Angeles just to act or do comedy unless I had a reason. And I kind of knew my okay. plan was to go in this way and then just kind of slowly fade. Uh, and then I went to this acting school. I was in this professional conservatoire. Okay. It's a really wanky, horrible program. And then I started working for Sasha Baron Cohen's production company. And okay. he studied with Gaulier. 
Goliath came to LA and I was interviewing at the time that he was there. And I was like, well, I'll just take this clown workshop with this guy and maybe that'll get me in. And then it was the best thing that I ever did. And uh, I went to Goliath because of that. So you, so this, you must have been like 18, 19 at the time. I was 19. Oh, I was so unfunny. <laughs> like, I was so unfunny. Still are. Still very <laughs> Like, but, but so you, so where had you moved to LA from? Uh, Chicago. I'm from New York, but I grew up in Chicago. Okay. So are you like that, that to me suggests like an 18 or 19 year old, yeah, I'm going to work, I've yeah, landed in a TV oh, production yeah. company. Mm-hmm. What, what is, is this representative of your background or your personality type or I would say, a burning desire to make something of yourself? What, like, I would say the, the second two of like, I just had this ridiculous, naive, oh, I'm just going to move to LA and become a star because that's what you do. And I had no acting experience. I knew zero people in the town. I'd never been to California before. I had only acted, I had just started taking, uh, Improv, teen improv. But you had the confidence of a mediocre white man. Exactly. I've always said that Zach lacks just the right amount of self-awareness. So (laughs) he's got enough, but he's also lacking enough that he'll just do anything with full commitment. Okay. I feel like positive delusion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. delusion. But it's helped us a lot. I mean, we wouldn't be where we... Are without that delusion. <laughs> yeah. So did you meet at Gollier? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I was actually a year ahead of the two of them, but I missed one term. So then I dropped into their class for 10 weeks and they both hated me. He was him. the worst guy. <laughs> Tell me about, okay, let's like, put you yeah, on pause yeah. for a second. Tell me about oh, this. No. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk like, about it, Vigo. Let's get into it. He was having basketball shorts and he, we came was wearing his Coachella tank top. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Fucking we come, we have, we're in the class and there's this one guy who's taking first year courses from second and he's like, hey guys, I'll show you around. Yeah. Yeah. Here's where the chairs are. Guys, you need a chair. It's just over here. So put them here. And then he'd be on stage and he'd be fucking like miming and mouthing at you just what he thinks you should be doing. <laughs> oh it's like, dude, I'm, I'm paying for this school. Like, yeah. let me figure it out. You know? Yeah. It's just because we had a good system in the second year. We yeah, yeah, good system. Great system. Great. Great. Was anyone else in the second year helping each other out? No. Was it ju- okay, no. Right, right. no. Zach no, was no. helping and a lot of people. <laughs> except himself. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, man, one day, it was like second or third day of school after class. I was no. going from one class downstairs and Zach came up to me and put his arm around me. I'm from Toronto. Okay. Not from the States, to be sure. clear. Put his arm around me and was like, hey man, us North Americans gotta stick together, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're not from the same place. Like, get off of me. I would like to strike that from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so from and that point, yeah. So how would you ended up uh, how would you ended up at uh, Goliath? So I was at a really wanky theater school as well in Toronto and I hated it. A good one though. Uh, yeah, like you know, apparently one of the best in the country, but it fucking sucked. And <laughs> but there was one class I liked, it was neutral mask, and that was taught by this old Russian lady named Vrenya Ivanovsky. And one day after class, I like blew up to her. I was like, I fucking hate this place. I don't respect the teachers. I don't like the curriculum. I think I'm becoming a worse actor by being here. And she was like, well, maybe you should leave, which I had never thought about. I was 18, right? Okay. And I had a really clear path in my mind of what I was going to be doing. And she was like, go look up Lecoq and Gaulier. And I already knew about Lecoq. And it's still pretty academic. It's not really what I want to do. 
I Googled Gallier and I was like, oh, this fucking guy gets it. This, <laughs> okay. this is where I want to be. How come you had such a clear path at 18 of like what you wanted to do? Well, I come from a theater family, man. Like my mom works for the biggest theater company in Canada. My granddad was a founder of it. Like I grew up in that community and there was this expectation that that's just what I would be doing. I'd be like a classical actor. Right? So you were running away from the theater. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To the circus. Sure. To the circus. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So I yeah, found out about that. I dropped out of school when I was 19, moved to France, told the artistic director and head of acting I thought they were frauds and Oh, the passion of, of an 18 year old. Yeah, but they were. were. They were. Uh, yeah. they, they I mean, exposed. here's the thing they got exposed later for abuse. And oh. all those people got fired. The school's a fucking toxic waste pile now. Like, no, it's no one would go near it now. Oh my God. Yeah. And I had my own part in that sending, uh, digging up old class action documents and sending that to journalists around the country and shit. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. And Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was studying economics uh, and uh, I just started doing a little bit of stand-up and then I started a stand-up club. In Norway? Yeah, so yeah. Whereabouts in Norway? Christiansand, down south. Okay. Have you been gigging in Norway? I've never gigged in Norway. The only places I know in Norway are um, Hergerson. <laughs> Which is because that's my because my friend Frodo is from there, Captain yeah, Frodo. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you know he's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Soiree, you're uh, yeah, he's, he's done. All, yeah, the, he he does the world's best two tennis racket. Can talk. I mean, it's literally the, one of the best, one of the best like whatever it is, six minute acts yeah. in oh, the amazing. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, and then we were just doing stand up, and then uh, or doing stand up was awful, so bad. Yeah, but much uh, of a circuit in Norway. I don't know. I'm not in Oslo, Trondheim, a little bit Bergen. Bergen and Oslo mainly. So uh, we were like, we heard, oh, there's the fringe. You got to see some British stand-up. So we booked a ticket to Jim Owen. We were drunk one night at the after party. It was like four o'clock in the morning, me and another guy. And we were just like, booked the ticket, booked the hostel, and then forgot about it. And then four minutes later, we went to Edinburgh. <laughs> and then we met, met two comedians, luckily two TV comedians from Norway who were like, yeah, you got to see this. Ah, uh, so you got told the, the most inspiring kind of... Yeah, they're like also comedy nerds. So they were like, welcome to this world. Like, look Great. at all these things. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was so stoked. Because <laughs> I was like in Candyland. I saw six shows a day. Yes. Yeah, That's what was... I used to. I used to come up and spend all my... I used to do street shows and then yeah. spend all the money from the hats. Just seeing show, 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 show. Yeah. After That's... that first year. Oh, yeah. Daniel Simonson won the best newcomer. Yes, of course. Yes. And Norwegian. Who went to Goliath? Yeah, right. So it was really like, oh, shit, the Norwegian guy can do this? Oh, crazy. And then the year after, I went back and saw 55 shows. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're definitely like, the most explorative of any of us. But, like, imagine stuff. you are from Norway and only you see in stand-up is, like, 10 years after UK, kind yeah. of. And then you just see Sam Simmons just yeah. stand on a sailboard screaming and you're laughing and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then I saw Phil in Belly Button. Uh, so for, I love that venue so much. Yes. Yes. That's yes. Yeah, that's where yeah. we're at now. And, yeah. and Phil, Trigby, everybody that we've... Bruce. Bruce, Bruce yeah. Bruce and Trigby, those were the two French shows. That Which Bruce? Uh, Bruce from the, the Wyatt sponge. and Tim, The Sponge, The Puppet Show. Did you ever see that show? No. Oh, fantastic. Oh, what that's, have I missed? Tell me that's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah. Okay. It's this little sponge with two googly eyes glued on it. And it's like a physical theater piece. One of the dudes went to Lecoq. The other dude's like an Australian sketch dude and writer. And they made this like James Cameron-esque sci-fi odyssey 
using only a sponge and then two gloves. And so one of them is doing the voices and doing the sponges uh, speech. And the other guy is just in all black with these white gloves and doing all the physicality for it. And God damn, I, yeah, I watched it with Vigo. It was so good. We, yeah. There were just so many times in that show that we would look at each other and like, can you fucking believe what's happening? And they're <laughs> calling their own lights as well. They, they yeah. have their own rig. They're firing all their cues. They've programmed it all. It's that show is awesome. Uh, that show and Nautilus by Trig V are the two biggest inspirations for me in terms yeah. of fringe stuff that I've seen. Sure. That, that stuff blew my mind, man. So let's. So that that's post Gollier. You saying that stuff is after that was between our first and second year. So okay. my first time uh, yeah. here. I saw Field before though, and then I just was in the back of my mind, and I wanted to see his kid show. Went to London a half year after, oh, and then I was like, oh. Doctor Brown and the singing, the dancing tiger, the singing yeah, tiger. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the best kid shows I've ever seen. Yeah, incredible. right. Yeah, it's really good. And then I did a clown workshop because I was like, oh, I'm here for a week. Should do a clown workshop, and then. A lawyer that did that course said, oh, you should, if you like this, looks like you like it, you should go to Goliath. That lawyer came to see Thunderflop. I know. Six years later. It's crazy. And he was so happy. I was like, yeah, I did like you said. (laughs) (laughs) And he couldn't fucking believe it that we, yeah, he came and saw the show and loved it. Uh, And I quit the university. I worked for a year just to go there to go to this school. <laughs> okay, so talk about your once you dealt with what an awful human being Zach was at, <laughs> at the school. Uh, okay, tell, me about, <laughs> tell me about your uh, your experience of being a Goliath. This is something like, obviously when Dr. Brown came, and other people have been there, but I think obviously Dr. Brown was the kind of the seismic event at Edinburgh, which has gone on to... Uh, inspire so many people. Like his his shows were fabulous and... Uh, and he also got all of the industry plaudits. Other people were doing similar but different work, yeah, but yeah. he was the one who everyone kind of, the industry clustered around and went, this, this new thing is here. Mm. And it inspired a bunch of people. And Can so I also say be- that you contributed to that. Oh, really? From the podcast, man? Yeah. Because I went in a class with a guy from Hong Kong who went to Goliath because of the interview you did with Phil. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I listened to that when I was first starting out and we were having some shit shows. That that was so inspiring. But I definitely you used that also to learn more about the school because there's not there wasn't much information at that time. Yeah. If you look at the website, I mean, I remember looking at the website a year before I went and it used to be this old flash, like horribly cut together image of the school with obviously layered on photos of Philippe, his wife, Michiko, and then a dog, their dog, and then just a really loud rooster growing sound when you open the page. And you're just like, what? This is like the Space Jam website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Really bad. And then if you can make it, my my thing is like, if you can make it past the website and figure out how to get to the school, then you should go to the school. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But it took me an, an extra year to figure that out. So, as I understand it, it's hard. When I first heard about the existence of Goliath like 20 years ago or something, everyone said, oh, it, it breaks you. I think that's overhyped, man. It's hard, but it's it's as hard as any fucking theater school is, right? And Philippe's not as mean as people say. He's playing a character. Yeah, like, it's all a joke. He's, an, he's one of the sweetest guys in the world outside of class. And even in class, I think a lot of people mistake him taking the piss out of you mm. for actually being cruel, mm. uh, especially if you don't come from a background where you're used to having the piss taken out of you. Like, it's it's not as bad as people say. I think there is. I think people want to cultivate this uh, 
this image that it's a really difficult school and only the best can make it. Yeah, no, absolutely it's not, not like that, yeah. man. His whole it's, thing as well is there's no auditions. Anybody yeah. can sign up and go. And he always says, I think people also try and people try and find ways to vilify him or put him in this weird place and say, yeah. oh, it's like a cult or all this yeah. stuff. And he's always like, yo, I'm just an old dude who says no when I don't like something. And if you don't want to be here, then you don't have to come and you don't have to do anything you don't want to do yeah. ever. And you also don't, he says, you don't have to agree with me, but if you're here, it's because you probably do agree with me. So just go with it while you're here. And yeah. Take what you like, throw away what you don't. And that's yeah. the only reason to be there, at least for me yeah. as a Norwegian, you don't get any certificate, no funding, yeah. nothing. Yeah, the, the only reason if you want to yeah. learn something. A receipt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the certificate tells you how much... It's like, congratulations, you've completed. Here's how much you've paid. <laughs> it's all a joke. It's just all a big joke. So this is Zach and Vigo and Johnny Woolley. And uh, I, I'm sure you can tell how much I'm enjoying talking to them. Such a breath of fresh air. And it really energised me for the rest of the day, if not the rest of my entire Edinburgh Festival. Uh, you can go to uh, stamptowncomedy.com. You can find them at Zach underscore Vigo on social media. Or you can go to Zach and Vigo. That's Z-A-C-H. A-N-D-V-I-G-G-O dot com to see where they are next. And I'm uh, very apologetic to them that I, I was not able to release this episode in time uh, to uh, big up uh, Zach's run at Soho Theatre doing Jack Tucker, which I'm sure went marvellously well. That show was another extraordinary standout comedy performance. I saw it... Um, on uh, day two or day three of the festival, uh, having bumped into them at Montreal. I was really excited to see that, and it was an absolute belter. And we will talk more about the relationship uh, between Zach on stage and Johnny in the booth, uh, teching and kind of spiking him and stabbing him with uh, with sound cues. It, it's such a joyous uh, piece of... Uh, just a joyous relationship to, to watch working its way out on stage. So that's all the blurb on them. I will chat to you more at the end. We've got some interesting thoughts about reviews and a reviewer called Andy, has, who uh, is a, a comic or a, a comedy fan and sometime reviewer, has written in with some interesting thoughts, which I thought might spark some debate. So we'll talk about that in a moment. For now, remember, you can join uh, the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and uh, get hold of all the extra content. Although this is the full 90 minutes now available to everyone, but extra content from any episode that has it, not to mention odds and ends and strands and a, a pilot of a little uh, additional podcast plan that I'm doing. Uh, that is on the Workspace app if you're in the Insiders Club. My tour details are all on the show notes of this. It's comedianscomedian.com slash tour. Thank you to everyone that came out to the Edinburgh Tour Show and Aberdeen. They were both delightful shows and a big shout out to Aileen who uh, was fan number one uh, in Edinburgh and apparently uh, sees roughly a hundred fringe shows a year which as far as I'm concerned is uh, insane but so um, uh, uh, what's the word it's something that makes is it impressive and also laudable laudable is what I was going for so well done thank you for coming and, and seeing my show um Everything at comedianscomedian.com tour. Let's get back to this conversation with Zach, Vigo and Johnny. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Were there sort of separate moments for you where it clicked? After, I think. Yeah, I think I, I had a big clicky moment. You yeah. did, yeah. yeah. Tell us about your big clicky moment. Melodrama. I was just did mask. You done mask stuff. Yeah, we yeah, all did mask. Yeah. You did mask. It was just like when we're doing because I went there for clown and I was like, yeah, comedy. And then mask play. They laughed and I kept on playing and they were like. And Philippe let me stay on stage. So I was like, oh, yeah, okay. If you just have fun, he lets you stay. Mm. Got it. And then in melodrama, super serious. I had this thing where I just, yeah, fucked the text and just went for it. And he let me stay with Julia. I did, were you there in that class? I may have been. Yeah, because yeah, he bangs you off after 20 seconds. This one time I stayed five minutes and I was like, holy shit, you can do whatever you want. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And after that, I felt really like, oh, shit, I'm going to always do that. It's great. I think I remember with one of the first lessons, because it's like, what, without oversimplifying it, some of his core things are like pleasure, complicity with between you and your partner, sensitivity to the audience, major and minor of who's in focus, who's not in focus, and fixed point. You know, just so you... Standing still. Standing still and giving focus to what you want. So if you want people to look at your hand, the rest of your body's still and just your hand is moving. Mm. But I remember I never understood sensitivity until our first preview we ever did in Oslo just before we went to the Fringe. We realized we'd never done a show together. We'd never been on stage together, Vigo and I. Like, we should probably do a preview. And there was one point. Also, Zach was doing a show with some other people. And yeah. I was also oh, yeah, with some other people. Yeah. Me, me, you, and our friend Sammy met up. We were like, hey, let's have an Edinburgh Fringe meetup. Let's go over the registration. Vigo sort of had a show. I had no one to do it with. Sammy did. And Vigo was like, yeah, I want to do a clown improv show. And I was like, hey, man, maybe we should do a show together. And he fully just blanked me and just pretended he didn't hear it. <laughs> and then and in my head, I was like, oh, maybe he just didn't hear it. Or like maybe I just said it to American or language something. Barrier. Yeah, language barrier. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So I said it again 10 minutes later. And he, he was like, oh, Sammy, so what do you think? I just fully diverted the conversation. Two months later, the day of the registration, everyone who I was meant to do a show with canceled. All of his guys canceled. It was just the two of us left. <gasps> and we were like, hey, man, I guess it's me and you. Do you want to do it? And we're like, and he's you? still blank cheek. He's still yeah. blank cheek. <laughs> he's still... We never made a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've just been doing two separate shows on stage. So how did you, how did you figure in that kind of well, that I genesis? I've never even heard of Edinburgh, dude. Like, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like back in Canada doing a Shakespeare thing. So my whole friend. Oh, so, you finished, so you finished good when you Romeo back to Canada. Yeah, yeah, you did Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. This was really fun. Yeah. That was a great show. Yeah. Well, we, but, we, we but, congratulately became best friends. Yeah, we... We went from A to B. Grudgingly became best friends. So we were the only two guys at school who smoked a lot of weed. (laughs) And also listened to hip-hop. Yeah, listened, loved Kanye. Yeah. So over that, we bonded slowly, and then 
yeah, realized at one point, I was like, damn, we've hung out like every weekend for the last four weeks and we might be friends now. <laughs> <laughs> Before we were just using each other just to do the thing we like, but now yeah. we're actually laughing. And I had, I had always been interested in like directing from school. And I think like at Gallier, I tended to get more out of watching other people than doing stuff myself. I was more fascinated with like how other people work and I don't know what, what makes them work. So I was like, well, maybe I can direct it. And Zach was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's come to Edinburgh. So I was like, okay. Then I did my little Romeo and Juliet show. And then I flew out to <laughs> Edinburgh. Romeo and Juliet show. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm a director now. <laughs> okay. But fuck, I've directed a lot of shows since then. Yeah. So and it our, worked. Our first Fringe as well, when we were staying, we they told us we had a, a two bedrooms in our room. But then we got there and they're like, oh, no, it's the size of two bedrooms. But there's one bed. There was no towels, no blankets, no pillows, no hot water, no gas for the first, what, 10 days? Yeah. That I, was the year you famously wiped your ass with a tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It was either do I eat food tonight or do I have a clean butt? <laughs> and then we both. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we were taking cold baths because the shower just wasn't working. So tell me, in the face of this awful, this first year, yeah. and having a grind to get two or three people into the show, how did you feel at the time? Did you feel like, this is just us paying our dues, we're going to make it because we're great? Or what, what, did it, what did it feel like? I love every second of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same, same. <laughs> I had so much it fun making so much a show. Fun. I was so stoked to be in Edinburgh doing a show. Yeah. It's crazy to be in this moment right now, as the three of us, who like... We are three of the dumbest people in the world. <laughs> and the fact that we have somehow managed to go around the world four times and yeah, end up here to make it on this podcast that we've listened to <laughs> for so long <laughs> talking about this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's genuinely really It's, it's, an, it's an error in the system, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, man. It's awesome, man. It's I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, man, that stage down there, it's perfect. It's so good and... We fired. I was like, man, we're doing it. We're at the fringe. I was so pumped. And also, me and you kind of worked well because other people came here and they had expectations and they were really like bummed out. But me and him, we were just so happy to be here. Yeah. So stoked. This is so, that's so lovely to hear. That's so kind of encouraging to hear because it is incredibly hard coming here when no one knows you. And, you know, that. but I, I think a lot of people, I think maybe more people, maybe because of the British circuit and the extent to which it's geared around uh, Edinburgh, but maybe also from, uh, I, I, I just can't speak for uh, international visitors to the festival, but... I feel like there is a certain amount with in Britain of kind of entitlement of like you have to go to it like you come up as a comic and it's this thing on the horizon going yeah. one day I'm going to have to take my show there and prove myself and it's going to be hard and we're sort of conditioned into a completely different way of thinking about it than you it's so life affirming to you go we got two people in we're doing it you know? yeah. oh it's yeah wonderful and and I think th those same I don't I think this delusion we were talking about. I had no idea there was 4,000 shows here. I was like, oh, we're the best show in the festival. Yeah. Everyone's got to see this. This is the most fun. Why wouldn't you want to come hang out at 1230 in the afternoon? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I had no idea what the, what was going on around us. I think we were really myopic and that kind of helped us in that first okay. year to just be focusing on our little thing and then, you just kept on showing me different things. I remember you brought me to the gorilla show. Yeah. That changed everything oh, yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. 
Damn. That's such, you that was one of my favorite shows. This is, uh, talk about the Gorilla Show because we've uh, we've not really covered it on the podcast well, before. You talk about it because yeah, you, yeah, you're, the, you're the one who introduced me to it, and that. That hour changed my life. Uh, yeah, the, the official position of this podcast is that I have no idea who does that show. Yeah. Neither do we. Same. Blink, blink. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember in, I think it was the year before we went there in 2015, so 14 maybe, yeah. someone brought me there. I can't remember. Someone I met and they said, you got to come. It's in the daytime, la, la, la. And I had no idea. I just got brought from some people I met. I sat there, had no idea, and I think that's the way to see the show. Just come in and watch it. Just mm -hmm. make sure you go and see it. And then I enjoyed it, of course, a lot. <laughs> and because it's an amazing an, show. An old man dressed as a young man dressed as a gorilla. I can't remember who's dressed as a young man dressed as a gorilla dressed as an old man mm -hmm. sits rocking in a rocking chair for 56 minutes. That's and not leaves. completely correct. Though, Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that was young great. man dressed as a gorilla dressed as an old man. Sitting in a rocking chair, rocking for 56 minutes, and then leaves. That's what he said. That's what I said. No, no, we'll check in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Strike that your, brother, your brother's going to transcribe this. Yeah. And, uh, What's up, Davey? Hey, Davey. <laughs> <Slipper. laughs> Davey's... Zach's little brother's a big fan of the podcast. So. <laughs> and, he finally, and, he, and he never... He's, he's always trying to knock Zach down. Yeah, he's, and, and when we got a good... I got a good review from Bennett this year. Hello, Davey. <laughs> got a good review from Bennett. I'm on the podcast now. What up, Davey? <laughs> looks looks you, like Davey. college doesn't mean anything. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> How's college now? How's that yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, that is the first time anyone has used this podcast for revenge. <laughs> loving brother revenge. Oh, so nah, good. I'm just jealous because I wish he was here. I'll say yeah. it. Yeah. We, we love yeah. Davey. Oh, he is great. And he is also a big comedy nerd. He loves yeah. everything. He also he came on tour with us in Australia. And saw the monkey as well. Anyway, I think bringing people is the goal to that show. I mm. saw it. Someone brought me. I was so grateful. So I brought Johnny the next day. Yeah. I had a great time watching Johnny watch it for the first time yeah and then me and Johnny brought some new people there after yeah and in, in Perth we brought Colin yeah that that experience for me to to give him what you gave to me was yeah. so nice yeah yeah to bring him in blind and see the joy on his face yeah. as he started to discover what this fucking show is and some people talk about it but I just bring people and say it's the best show in the world that's what I do yeah I love it I, I will say this about Vigo Vigo is an absolute comedy purist and the way that he goes, he there's kind of the unwritten rule and code of the Gorilla Show, and I don't know anybody who follows it more than Vigo Venn. No, yeah, I just like the show so much. I want to see, <laughs> want to see the show so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was every day. <laughs> so that that quality. Let's talk about that. You the thing whereby you come out where one comes out of a show and immediately goes, "Holy shit, I've got to tell my friends." Mm. Zach and Vigo has that quality right that the, the show has that people clearly when I came to see it the other night feeling like an idiot like I don't know why I didn't see it in the last few years there's a lot of shows in town and I didn't realize you were such big fans of the podcast otherwise I'd have made the I feel bad but I was also thinking this morning what's like why why didn't I see that and I think it might have been the costumes yeah it might have been seeing the costumes and thinking oh this this is a this is yeah. kind of a studenty yeah. they look scrubby and like I feel like I've seen a lot of street shows with two guys in similarly bad costumes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get what that thing was. And the show starts like that as well, no? Like yeah. a kid show kind of, no? Yeah. 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 Well, because there was a, a time in the early development of it back at CC Blooms where we were like, fuck, this isn't working. Maybe we should just make a kid's show. Maybe that's the best way to salvage this run. So there's like, 
a definite element of that show that is really cutesy and kind of children's show e. But the way it developed, which wasn't on purpose, but I like now, is that Thunderflop kind of starts as a kid's show and then gets progressively <laughs> more fucked up sure. <laughs> until it reaches this fever pitch at the end. But uh, yeah, mm. yeah, I, I, I think I think that's definitely part of it. I, I think our show is very much on the line of it's just an inch away from being so hack. Like and it can be at any moment. Like we we purposely when we were on Montreal together, we told you not to come to our show because yeah, it yeah, was yeah. outdoors and outdoors we can handle it, but we're not outdoors performers. This is not intended to be an outdoor show. And when you put us on that stage with the expectations of what a I guess a more circus street or physical type show sure. is, we don't live up to those expectations. And you're like, oh my god, these guys are just pathetic. But it's like no, we're we're purposely trying to be pathetic. But in this environment, we look. Th- Genuinely, pathetic. genuinely pathetic. Yes. It's like, okay, yes, now it's okay. two grown men in these like yeah. shitty costumes. But then at the stand-up uh, lineup, at the yeah. any the improv, yeah, it just bam, it's because it's different, but also they don't. It's like belly laugh yeah. instead of head laugh. In the yes, mind, which is really nice. We also had a special trick that um, one of our bits we would do a lot uh, on lineup nights had a lot of water in it. It's the yeah. Baywatch bit, right? Yeah. And so because of that, we would wind up headlining a lot yeah, of games. Yeah, because you have to go you enough because you destroy the stage. Exactly. exactly. Ah. So that put us, you know, with, with no reputation at all. We were closing a lot of gigs with people who were much bigger than us. Yeah, because by the time you're finished, there's cucumber everywhere or whatever. Exactly. Water, exactly. Water. Yeah. So the stage is destroyed and it's like you can't, if we do well, which like if you put us on a lineup show, we will do well. It's hard to then come and just do jokes after that. Yeah, sure. Unless you get like, obviously someone like a Kearns or, you know, a, who does like a, a different type of stand-up where it's not just pure stand-up, but it is this different energy of pure stand-up. He can, you put us on a line with that, then the night will keep rolling. Yeah. But if someone comes back out and is like, so my girlfriend came over last night, yeah. you know, it's not going to work. But as far as like what you're talking about with the aesthetic of how the show looks and how the guys look, like I, I think that makes it really important for the technical elements of the show to be of good quality because when the thing itself looks shitty and you kind of just believe that it is these pathetic two clowns. Sure. You, you need the framing of it to actually look nice mm-hmm. and look like there's been some deliberate thought put into it. Absolutely. Which is where I come in. And the sound process, cues are right? crisp and everything is yeah. huge and loud and yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Flashy, smoky, like all that stuff is really important so that, People understand this is all deliberate. We, we know how it looks. And we are trying to cultivate this feeling that it's like some friends hanging out in their basement just fucking around, right? And I think sometimes we've done, because that's our style is this this like crafted chaos, this accidental stuff. A lot of people leave our shows, I think, enjoying it, but then think, oh, well, that was all an accident. Like these guys actually didn't make a show. But if you come every night, it is... It's basically the same show every yeah. night. There's maybe three versions of how it'll go. Yeah. But then even with Jack Tucker, we've gotten a lot of backhanded compliments where people are like, wow, like there's actually jokes in this. Like I didn't know <laughs> you guys did that. And like, yeah. yeah, that's we've been doing this for like seven years. Yeah. <laughs> Individually at least, you know? Yeah. Well let's let's talk about we'll talk about your solos. Uh, uh, I saw Jack Tucker on a fantastic night where everything was exploding. The night I saw uh, Vigo was very different. And yeah. I felt like there were lots of people in the audience who weren't quite 
getting it. Do you know what I mean? You made a couple of references throughout to like, well, this is what it is tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I was nervous also because you were there. Oh, oh, oh so a little bit the nerd. And <laughs> <laughs> also Lars and Martin, I've only been out two times this fringe and I was out. We closed the loft bar the night before. So <laughs> I wasn't feeling great that day. But so. let's, I, I mean, maybe it's not useful to frame it as like, well, this show is successful. And very <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I was there. It was a horrible, pretty rough show. Yeah, <laughs> that's very classy. <laughs> but uh, last night, a mime came to the show and the priests and uh, spent 35 minutes just dealing with that. And that was top nice. of the fringe so far. Wow. <laughs> so that was, I was really happy. Okay, so that, the aesthetic that you've gone for with Vigo the Viking is very, very simple. Super simple play. You don't need a... There's no lighting change, I don't think. Well, there's like one... <laughs> yeah, there, there is some. Compared to the all smoke, all explosion, machine gun, yeah, yeah. American woman extravaganza <laughs> yeah. that Zach is working with. Yeah. So did you... What's the direct... Did you direct both of these shows? No, so, no, so I directed Vigo's last show. Yeah. Okay. Which was full of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. was much more... Uh, Similar to, yeah. to Tucker and, and play you know, the way that Tech plays. Yeah. And Tucker couldn't exist without that show. I mean, that's where we Vigo, started exploring that in a way. Yeah, like this sort of interactive live teching thing. That the tech is a character kind of. Yeah. Because yeah. we had we had it, I think, we, we in my first show, Human Person, we had some interaction, but there was not no, much. It was more talking. It was more, it was more talking. Yeah. It was yeah. verbal interaction. But yeah. And it would be like Johnny, would be like shut up, like do the show, like no, no, you know. Oh, so and then that, because, like live yeah. directing. Yeah. So Johnny is in the booth during the show and yeah. is is interacting with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that was then replaced with well, in- sound effects, which would mean like we have sometimes when he plays a certain sound effect. To me, that's like all right, get on with the show. Yeah. Or like every time I play American Woman during the show, it's like let's fucking go. Or let's I'm move gonna on. You off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad music was like when. When someone was not interacting, in anytime, yeah, yeah, anytime, anything. That's yeah. hilarious. Okay, yeah. so because there, so there's a, there's like a hidden language of when those cues yes. come in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you are live directing the show. Like I felt you're yeah. kind of chasing him up, but it's kind of more than that. You're well, it's a dance, right? Like we we think about it, this. Okay, here here's where here it is. Here's, here's, here's the pretentious <laughs> bit. So uh, we think of it, especially with Tucker, but this definitely extends through. Thunderflop and, and, and Pepito. Sure. Um, but if we kind of think of it like jazz, right? Where there's, we have these movements and chord progressions that we're, we're moving through for this song, right? Quote, unquote. Uh, but within there, there's play. So we know where, like the basic elements of how we need to be playing in, in, in each part, but how that happens is going to change every time. Uh, so yeah, there's this language of like, if anything goes wrong, hit the sad music. If anything goes really well, hit the inspirational music, right? If, if Zach makes any callback, hit the telephone. Um, it, you know, like, if it's going too long, hit American woman. Yeah, exactly. Start uh, playing you If off. I do any sort of physical riff, we hear the da-da, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. celebrate these things. And so we try to get to, or I try to get to this point of like pure impulsivity. So like we kind of, when it works, and I think it worked on the show you saw, we get into this feedback loop, the two of us, where we're both kind of running on pure impulse. And the, the structure is clear enough that we never get lost, but we can really just feed each other <laughs> these impulses and sounds and he'll do something, and I'll do something. And we just get in this dance together. And it's like a like this jazzy song where we just 
figure it out. It's a bit different every time, but it's really fun to do, man. Mm-hmm. I love it. I haven't heard of anyone else working like that. Have you discovered that for yourselves? Or did, yeah. you, was there, did something inspire that? Or you just no, kind of... No. Well, I'll tell you where it came from, man. Back when we were at Goyer, Vigo was running these improv workshops. And he had me come in and just do tech for it. And so I would be like finding different songs on Spotify. And I'm a big music nerd, so I know what to look for to get different moods. And so I'd be like pulling up a song when someone does something, something happens on stage, you know, imbue it with this mood. And I found that really fun. And so we started playing with that yeah. Pepito. I remember also that uh, like we had someone take it and they were like afraid to take it, but Johnny didn't give a shit. Because I, I always tell people like many mistakes, like if you feel something, push it. And Johnny, when he felt something, just went for it. And it's so much better. Yeah. And so yeah. we, we kind of just, we, we played with that more in Pepito and, and again developed this like basic language. And then when it came to Tucker, it just started going crazy and i was like <laughs> i figured out how to, I, i became much more proficient at q lab and how to use hotkeys and everything so getting all these sounds and it was like oh yeah this is something that i've never seen before yeah and it's a really fun way to perform right god every time every time one of those big explosive you know every time american woman comes in it just lifts it because it comes in like it's so crisp and so loud yeah. and so well timed certainly man. in the one i saw that it, it oh, absolutely yeah. is that dialogue you're like oh that's not a tech this is not them on tour turning up and going there's my 150 cues <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely a, a duo show as well yeah, yeah. you know yeah And and what's really interesting is seeing things, seeing you guys kind of the wrong way around, like seeing Thunderflop having seen both of your solos. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like it's completely peculiar yeah, yeah. because then I was I I can kind of go oh that's from that and that's evolved from that and this yeah. and they're so different. I think even the first yeah. the first time we I, I think you definitely found this this joke time right? joke time yeah. so the, the the jokes we do the I woke up in a new book yeah, 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 yeah. that was the first one that was also an early development for Tucker and an yeah. early development for just your guys' sound cue play where we were like, man, wouldn't it be funny to do some really shitty jokes and then just hit him with a banger after it? And then... We the- found that cucumber interrupting thing. And yeah. That was yeah, my yeah. mistake at the yeah. gig in yeah. LA. And yeah. then we were like, that was so funny. Me not saying the joke and kept yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And then, so this is where you're preventing Vigo from it, selling his jokes. Exactly, yeah. By slamming him with that, with that music cue. Yeah. So the, you know, the DNA of Tucker goes all the way back to Thunderflop, and it's oh, yeah. been developing from there. Even in even in the intro of that bit, I remember like just saying, "So we would love to try some jokes for the first time." Like, "Okay, do you want to hear some jokes?" And looking at my hand, like yeah. doing the, it, we thought, "What a better place to do it than Edinburgh Fringe?" You know, <laughs> and like just those. It, it's been funny doing Thunderflop again yeah. now while doing Tucker, realizing, "Oh shit!" Like this is where that's Everything where that came from. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So does that mean the next? Zach and Vigo show. Are you creating that at the moment? Well, we <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much to talk about. We're making, hopefully making some TV stuff right yeah. now. I don't know how much we can get into that. Yeah. But yeah, there's stuff in development. Yeah. But we would love, the, we would ideally love to make this TV thing and then use some, for the first time, financial freedom in our lives to develop a show proper between yeah. the two, between yeah. the three of us for a new duo show. Yeah. But I think we just need time and money 
Because we just bought the costumes and then we had to stick with them. And uh, yeah. it would be nice to have money for a costume. Yeah, <laughs> just a nicer version of the same costume. <laughs> yeah, last, yeah, two years ago we spent... Like, yeah, we spent, what, 800 pounds on four tearaway costumes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of getting new costumes. Yeah, and instead of writing a show. <laughs> I mean, it's a great effect. It's a great, it's a great joke. Yeah, but I mean, we were like, we'll spend this money on something completely different because this Lycra is mm-hmm. not us anymore. Without, I don't want, obviously you don't want to talk too much about the TV stuff. Can you talk about the challenge of getting what you do, which is so inherently live and has this seven-year DNA yeah. of live experience, accidents, making accidents work in the moment? Mm-hmm. I've seen very, very often people try and put that on TV. The costume, like just use the costumes yeah. as an example. Mm-hmm. When people, I'm thinking of, I don't know if you ever saw Pappies or We Are Clang yeah. or some of these sketch groups where it was anarchic and they would spend a long time making a prop to look like it had been made in 10 seconds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It had yeah. that kind of deliberately, I don't want to say shitty, but the, the kind yeah, of, yeah. that I mean, sort of quality. Yeah. To take that into TV, you know, it's like the, the context, like you were saying about it's got to have all this crisp stuff in the framing of it or, or in, the, in the street, if you see it outdoors, the context is different. Let's talk about the challenge of maintaining flop and accident in TV. Well, that's something yeah. we've been experimenting with for fucking four years or something. Yeah, since, right? since like, 2016 as well. Yeah, not not with much success until recently. Um, but now we're working with a director who I went to high school with. Okay. Um, and we made a bunch of stuff together then. And with him, we've really found something I think works. Yeah. Where we're, we're using the camera kind of as a live audience and also trying to use the ability that editing gives you as a tool for comedy, I think that's the key that we weren't playing with before. It's like, yeah. you have this gift in front of you with editing. You can make so many things happen that would be either very difficult or impossible to make happen on stage. And if you if you can use that for comedic effect, then you, you, you have something really special. Uh, but and also catch those like floppy moments when acting. Yeah, yeah, because we're also like yeah. we're if when we get into it on stage, I feel like we're good actors. But you put us in front of a camera, and I feel like we all, we suck. But or, but but if you can frame it, and is yeah. Dylan, hey Dylan Woodley, hey, Dylan. hello buddy, both up. He uh, if he when he when he frames it well, he can catch the moments where like we do something, and I'm just like, oh man, that sucks. And he won't use any of my take, but he'll use that moment where you drop it and go, oh, yeah, sucks. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then yeah. create out of that. Or, or Zach, like, cracking up at his own joke or, like, breaking during a line. Use that, right? So the stuff we're developing has this really exploitative feel to it. Like, the footage is being misused. Yeah. But, but that helps. Because you don't want Clown to feel so deliberate, right? You don't want Clown to feel like it's trying to be bad you you want it to feel like there's some sort of external force fucking with it which i think is what i offer in the live shows and, and what dylan offers via editing in, in, in the tv stuff talk to me then about your dynamic as a as a group like when do you get on best when do you create best together what are the what are some of the harder things about going around the world four times together as a three I think the hardest thing is that we're all from three different countries mm-hmm. and you, wherever we go, two people are flying internationally. Mm-hmm. So that's hard. We don't have a home. None of us have had a permanent address for four years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's difficult. Um, we're also, because I'm American, Vigo's Norwegian, Johnny's Canadian, 
the markets we perform in are in the UK and Australia. So all the UK folks, you know, not to, this is not obviously a, always true, but I feel like the UK acts are more likely to get coverage or exposure or a bit more. It's like, this is their festival and the Australia, it's like, it's the Australian artist festival. Basically we're outsiders everywhere. Yeah. Right. And then like even that's... in the U S nobody knows what we do. And like, Oh, these, these like weird clown spandex dudes yeah. that are from Norway, I think. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and in Norway, they're like, yeah, there's this North American. Yeah. Like, they hate me in Norway so much. <laughs> everywhere we go, at least two of us are outsiders, right? At best, two of us are outsiders. So yeah. I'm culturally weird in every country except Norway as well. Yeah. I never heard of Norway until I met Vigo. <laughs> no, that cannot be true. I also didn't, I never heard of The Guardian until our, our second year here, uh, Ryan Logan put us on his list of shows and then everyone was like, you're in The Guardian. And I was like, oh, cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, what's that? <laughs> I'd never. That, that's charming. Yeah. You've never heard of Norway? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is Norway is much bigger than the. the <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the distribution of Norway. Yeah. 4.5 million people. Do, do, you think there, million? do you think there's more than 5 million subscribers to The Guardian? Is it? Oh, that's, that's worth looking into. Do yeah. more people subscribe to The Guardian than there are in Norway? I have no idea. But uh, I'm happy to bring culture to your life. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about but you never met a Jewish person, so you met no, me. True, true. Look at that. Ah, yeah, 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 nice. Good. Well well handled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Talk to me about being culturally weird wherever you go. There's something great. I, I, I've never been to Norway. I've yeah. never met a Norwegian I didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like to go to Norway. Yeah. But um, it, like that that flavor that you bring the act, that that's a part of, that is a sort of unique part of the DNA. Like it's not just a Canadian and American, like mm-hmm. young kids in baseball caps. Totally. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's, yeah. there's also, there's also, guy from Norway. there's kind of Groot in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Groot? Um, from Guardians of the Galaxy, little tree man. Ah, yes. Yeah, so I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the little tree man? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, language is a barrier for sure, but uh, I love it. It's nice to, I also wanted to travel after Golia and do shows so that you guys wanted to do the same. I was so happy mm. to to go to Australia and gig there. It was amazing. And we've gone yeah. three years in a row, which is insane. Yeah. but And that's as a comedy fan as well. I mean, the first time I went to the Adelaide Festival in Melbourne, I was like, oh my God, it's like all this, but different. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? Like, I've got so much to discover here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. also you can gig stand-up. That's kind of why I left a little bit, because you could gig like once a week, twice a week when you're... Like me, a bad stand-up, and now we can just gig a lot mm-hmm. because we've done so many shows. No, through the Australian people. circus, just Perth, Adelaide. That year, Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne was just like an hour show almost every day I think for three months. About, yeah, maybe ninety to a hundred hour shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, but even still, it's like we have, we can gig more, but still, people are very apprehensive to book us, which like. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I think some... Really? Yeah, no, def- definitely. definitely. That's why we started our variety show. Because no one... Everyone said what we did wasn't comedy. Yeah. And I think as well, sometimes... Oh, like here at, at festivals, yeah, we go, there's a lineup show, but we don't want you yeah, guys... Yeah, in want, London But as everyone well, who's seen it... If they see us, they'll book us. Yeah. And and like the thing is, it, I think sometimes people think we're out there to like actually cause damage, but we're just, we're just trying to fuck around and have a good time. We never actually want to... Like, if stuff goes wrong, it's great, but we're never intentionally trying to break shit or, like, sure. burn the house down. It's like, if there's a fire in a venue, great. We'll love to play with this <laughs> fire. But I'm not trying to light this venue on fire, you know? Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. people sometimes mistake clown and the stuff is what we do is, like, out of control. But no, like, 
Like we had a show in Melbourne this year where the curtains just fell down in the middle of the show. And that was a gift from the gods, you know? He goes jumping over this curtain and disappearing backstage. And he was doing these big high jumps over it. And 15 yeah. times 15 just times in a row boom yeah. yeah walking around in the back pretending in the, cause you just see workers from the venue walk in and see the whole audience <laughs> 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 and then me just behind them waving to yeah, the audience with a big ladder yeah, yeah we're in high vis pushing the ladders and then we got like written up we got written up like 25 times this year and they were like they pulled down the curtains they were like no we just stepped on it we, it's, it, yeah. It, 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 yeah it stepped it on it down. and it fell down and, and it, like we need wings, you know, we're not stand-ups. We yeah. don't just stand People are time. often willing to assume the worst of us because, you know, a lot of times stuff does go crazy while we're gigging. We've we've had some really crazy gigs. Started a riot at Late and Live last year. Yeah. Like, Tell me about this. We, <laughs> we, it was, it was one of They don't trust us. There was that time we started a riot. <laughs> it was my last day. I only did half Edinburgh last night. How much day. of this story are we telling? Look, it was Vigo's last. It was Vigo's last night. I'm usually bossy, bossy pants. But usually, I'm always bossy, bossy pants. I just want to set up that it's my last night. I'm going to do kids theater in Norway. I was really happy. Like light and live last night. Let's have a good time. Let's <laughs> do some material. Let's be funny. I love light and live. Yeah. I like to pick the set list because I always pick the set list. Yeah. Oh, so we nice. go out there. Forty five seconds in, people are immediately heckling me to get naked. So I was like, well, okay. So I got naked because. Zach has no qualms getting naked. Not easy. I, I found if these my- people knew they wouldn't have dared you. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to dare me, well, I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. It was like 15 seconds before I was like, yeah, let's do the material today. And, and I was like, you know what, Vigo? I yes. got you. I respect you. I love you. Let's do it. And then they yeah. immediately started yelling inside. <laughs> started yelling at me to get naked. I get naked. Then we tried to do the set and then they're all like talking and booing. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you guys asked for this. Like, fuck you. I didn't want to do this. Okay, and we had just started playing with hot cues. Yeah, and so I had, uh, it was right after the England had lost the World Cup, right? And I had It's Coming Home, Three Lions, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Why is the chorus? Uh, it's coming home. It's coming home. And so I just, you know, once it all started to go to shit, I was like, all right, it's time for It's Coming Home. Yeah. And I, I had gotten up to the booth and just told the lighting guy and the sound guy, like, just follow my lead. I don't know what's going to happen. It's our last night. It's going to go crazy. Just, just follow me and make it as loud as you can without killing them. Yeah. Uh, so I play that. It's fucking loud, right? This is this is the debating hall at Gilded Balloon. Just the same blaring. Saturday night, dick out. Saturday night. Full yeah. House. Full house. Four hundred people there, right? People start like the Scottish people love it. Yeah. The people hate it. Yeah. And the, the more things people hate it, the more the Scottish people are just loving that, like eating it up. And, and we kept doing it. I mean, people were throwing like, drinks at me. People were throwing twenty-pound pitchers at me, throwing solid objects, starting to climb. But also realizing the first time we were doing material, then a little bit of you, then it's coming home. We were just jumping, yeah. dancing, Scottish people, and then it stopped. The song stopped. We went back to try to do material, and then someone would heckle. Yes, yeah, someone hit, hit it again. It's coming. <laughs> home. So it wasn't just it wasn't just a full on barrage. We were no. being sensitive and trying to do it. Every we time really we really tried to do our set. Yeah. I, I wanted to give Fred a special shout out here and Rich because yeah. they book us all the time and it always goes crazy. But we always try to do our set on late and live. But they think of us as like the stupid, shitty, you know, spandex guys, and they always heckle us. And so we 
we ride that. Yeah, you gotta we'll, roll with it. We'll roll with it. And so I eventually started, I was doing, I was like full naked doing you big like cat cans. I had a huge Union Jack flag and I had it over my shoulders and then I was, then people started getting nasty so I started wiping it in my ass. <laughs> yeah. And then we're now, we're like four, five, six times into you hitting that yeah. ace coming home and yeah. it's super loud, everyone clapping. You got naked. Yeah, uh, I wasn't naked. You did, no, you did. Yes, you got naked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's so great when there's a third opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was also they had the drum set on for the band afterwards and like just whatever you do don't touch the instruments he goes playing and then and I was on the tables dancing naked as well yeah, people are like throwing drinks trying to climb on stage and fight them right security's having to pull people off by the end of it was the night it was we, 30 we minutes 15 times you pushed it I think oh, oh I, I was reckon like, I probably hit it over 50 yeah, we, really? Yeah, I heard did, people from Loftbar coming in because they heard this. Yeah, yeah, so Maddie said she came like 11 minutes in. She was like, I kept, I heard this yeah. for like 10 minutes and I was like, what's in going my, on? In my mind, I played it a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, in my mind as well, it was also a thousand times. <laughs> Eventually, a few of the people who work there are running up to the tech booth trying to get me to stop. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 we'll stop. And then do it again. And then, like, this, they were telling the sound guy to cut my sound, but he was loving it. So he would, like, bring the sound levels all the way down and then just push it all the way to the top. <laughs> yeah, it was and so... Came out, he was hosting, hosting, right? hosting and yeah, he yeah. was pissed, man. And he was yelling at me, like, Johnny, you knew the fucking rules. Stop with that shitty fucking... It's coming <laughs> Yeah, and, and it was crazy because... I went backstage He tried to fight me Yeah But we said sorry after nah, I, nah He was out of line And I pushed him I said you touch my director I'll fuck you up yeah, he, <laughs> I said I sorry backstage He pushed me man I, Basically it was It was more of if, if you wanted the night to end Just call the show But if you tell yeah. the clowns Don't do it again We're gonna when do we, it We're gonna do it again Because that's when we've done the show with him before, that's how it always goes. Yeah, people yeah. say, yeah. don't do it, don't do it. Okay, blink. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, it, but when, we, when we host, when Scott Gibson hosts, it's great because he just plays along with us. Like, he'll come out and he does Bugatti and he'll come and he'll he'll purposely fall and then start taking his shirt off yeah. and start doing the worm and stuff. And like, Scott Gibson's the best, man. And, and, I love that guy. And then, but then eventually I went up in the rafters as well and yeah. I was naked up there and then the lighting guys were shifting the lights up onto the yeah, rafters. On but then people apparently were trying to fight us after the show so they had to keep us backstage for 45 minutes and then snuck us out of the venue yeah that was and I was really like oh my god this was not funny and then Johnny's like no 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 and then so many people came up after and was like oh that was, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my yeah. life like that was so the security guards love us they call us they call me dick guy <laughs> that's I'm not good I've been naked so many it's times dick guy dick guy and vegan <laughs> dick, dick guy and vagina man <laughs> <laughs> so so what you were saying about the the curtain falling and playing with it and anything like you know you tell the clowns don't do it they're going to do it that your ability your enjoyment your kind of relish of being able to play with things going wrong that kind of makes you bulletproof right that's like that's i feel like that's one of the superpowers that people who get Goliath leave Goliath with. Yeah. What do you mean by like the, bulletproof? Well, it, like it means that you're uh, you're unstoppable as performers because when something goes wrong, it's just the, you know the problems Better. are the material, right? That's a clown thing. The yes. problems are the material. Yeah. So, and it feels like when you work together, certainly in terms of the sound cues and the way you you chase. Um, you are creating problems yeah. in order that you create material. Yeah, putting yeah. them in the shit. Like you even see with Tucker when there's walkouts, 
the show gets significantly better. Jesus yeah. Christ, didn't it? When there was those <laughs> seven people walked out, I yeah. thought, you clever bastard, you've got seven students to deliberately walk out. No. I, do you know what I mean? I thought you'd read yeah. that because it made, it was so good and it the made timing it, that night was great. Even, yeah. was yeah. even our friends who'd seen it a few times were like, did you plant those people? And like, no, no, dude, they just, and apparently they There's just There's been like four shows this whole run that we haven't had walkouts. Like, it, it's like clockwork, man. Why are they walking out? People think it, I think people think, think it's, it's real. I think I think they think yeah. it's real. Like last night, I had, I had some some like seventy year old ladies in the front that were heckling me the whole night. There's a surprise. They thought you were taking yourself seriously as a stand up. Yeah. yeah, and then people are like, "Mate, your yeah. dick's out." And I'm like, "Oh my god, thank you." Just to clarify, my pants are just unzipped. My penis is in my pants. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'll we'll do the I'll fake zip it up, and Johnny plays that <laughs> sound. And then if they don't get it by then, I'm like, "Oh my god, yeah, there's no help." Like a, a surprising amount of people don't get Tucker is a, is a joke. Yes, right. a lot of people. And think Jack, Terry, I don't know if we've explained what Tucker is. So Jack oh. Tucker is a character. You're doing a stand-up. The bad stand-up. The, the game is I'm a stand-up. Yeah, yes. but the show is it's a clown of, doing stand-up. Yeah, it's a clown's idea of a bad stand-up yeah. show. Yeah, and and it's it's like I wear a rusty, gross wedding ring. I'm soaking wet. I'm in a suit that's stained and way too big. There's beer falling out of my flies my pocket. Undone. My flies undone. I've got pockets, pockets full, full of condoms. condoms and apples and eggs like. I've sometimes had a burrito or like a loose piece of pizza in my pocket. You used to play with a bunch of loose lunch meat in yeah. his pocket. Oh, yeah, and and then the your dressing room got infested with roaches. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. Out oh, yeah. And they got they got mad, so we had to pull the loose ham back out. Yeah, they gotta pull the loose ham. Yeah. <laughs> and so but but yeah, people think it's real. And there's I remember times our friends double denim would exit flyer Jack Tucker in Adelaide. And people would walk out of the show and they'd be like, hey, what'd you think? And like, oh man, that guy was like rude. He was a sexist pig. He was nasty. And they're like, you know that it's a character. And they just wouldn't, they couldn't believe it. And then they'd be like, hey, by the way, we do a feminist double act. He's one of our best friends. Come check us out. (laughs) And they just could not believe. I I think a lot of people, once they feel fooled or they find out it's real, they just refuse to accept it. Yeah, rather than... It's 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 more that they believe it, but with me, they're like, are you actually Norwegian? I thought it was just a character. They, oh, everyone thinks yeah. I'm a British guy with a... Yeah, doing a uh, sort of yeah. maybe offensive character. Yeah. 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 To reveal that, this is the time of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Go on>. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Joshua. <laughs> Your name's Joshua. <laughs> 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 I live in Stoke Newington. <laughs> That's yeah. a bad accent, isn't it? I like yeah, I mean, I think part of the Tucker thing is that, like, in Australia and the UK, people are really willing to assume the worst of Americans. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which, right. And then they would get so mad when I would make... I used to do this whole thing about the EU, but no one laughed, which was so frustrating because they'll, everyone will make fun of America, even though yeah. we're basically the same thing, especially now with yeah. Boris Johnson and Trump and all this shit. And I'd be like, man, it's so good to be, you know, you guys have this this deal with, with Europe. That's so amazing. Like, you could travel anytime you want. You can work there. Work there, live there. there. We, we got the best uh, deal maker in the world as our president, and we couldn't even get that deal, you know? <laughs> and, 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 you know, you know when you guys travel, you guys have, uh, there's the EU residents and everybody else. You guys get to walk right in. Me, I have to wait in line for nine hours, you know? And no one would laugh. Like people would be pissed off. People would get wow. angry and they go, well, you have Trump. And it's like, yeah. Duh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, people really are willing to assume Americans can be 
as dumb as a character like Tucker, right? Yeah. I think that's part of Which we assumed with Zach as well in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. We thought about that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. Strike that. Strike that. Please strike that. (laughs) That was very lovely. I feel like I should have said that. (laughs) But it was was funny. I feel like Australians, even though they thought maybe I was that stupid, they would at least laugh, whereas the English people I felt would... This is mainly, I struggled a lot in London. London on our variety shows, it was good, but I struggled a lot in Brighton. I would call it Bristol the whole time, and people were like, it's Brighton, mate! Oh, man, it's, so it's like, yeah, Obviously, I know where I am. So is there, I had to get here. Is there, is part of the challenge there that if you are playing over the heads of the audience, is it part of, is it on you to take them with you? Is there something you need to change about what you're doing so that We're people don't fr- get frustrated like that? I think or it, is it a case of you play to the top intelligence in the room and it doesn't matter if you leave people behind? No, How do you I, feel about that? I think that it's like it's always on the performer. Yeah. You, you, the whole fucking job is entertainment, right? And these people are paying. So you do owe them something. You, you owe them a show. And I mean, obviously, you can only do so much. Uh, there are some people who just, no matter how clear you make it, they're not going to get it or they're not going to be willing to get it. But we, we try as, as much as we can to try to, you know, let people in on the joke without giving the joke away. Yeah, I, I think I'm up for doing anything without saying, hey, this is a character. Yeah. Because I, I would prefer everybody gets on board. I would love everybody to enjoy it. The best show is if there's 100 people in the room, 98 people love it and two people leave. Yeah. yeah. That's the best That's type the of case. show. And, and even then, like... I would prefer if everybody just enjoyed it and if two people had to leave because they missed a train or yeah. they have to go to the bathroom, you know? Yeah, whatever. But it's, there have just been some times where people are, like I did Late and Live the other night and I love Scott. Scott set us up so poorly. He was like, all right, coming from the greatest country in the world and they all started booing me immediately. <laughs> and like, well, this is no chance. Like, all, yeah. and it was a, it was a, another legendary quote unquote set where it was just a, a hell of a show where I was telling everyone that like, Scotland's the worst part of England. And- <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy come up to me, or like a guy I know from the dressing room said like he saw Late Live Tucker and he, uh, he saw Fenderfop. It was so nice to see you because he also thought that you were that guy. And it was nice to see you not be that. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, now I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just don't ever, I don't even ever, especially with the sound effects now, with the image of the character. How can you make it animals, more clear? Yeah. Exactly. That's, that, that's the, my point. I fall right? immediately. I fall throughout the show, spilling the beer I feel like there we are so many tips we try to telegraph it as much as possible and you can only do that so much without selling the whole show out maybe you should make it funny <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you should make your show funny strike <laughs> 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 that strike that <laughs> sad music comes in I did, I did a story this year yeah what's the, the story sure what's the story <laughs> Steve what was the story uh, of uh, there was a baby in a volcano the sword not being able to touch the baby was fucking great yeah and what does that mean that the character struggled to do it sure yeah (laughs) which character which one the angry one or the nice one yeah (laughs) the amount of time do you normally say it's it's two characters like Like that you normally say that as much as you said that on the show I saw Uh, I love that yeah, but when you saw it, it wasn't funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was laughing, but I did have that thing. Of like, you were the only one laughing. I'm, I'm laughing really loud here. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the show now. Me doing that. And that's... Okay, you guys should check it out one day. It's really nice. I'm not going to. No. <laughs> Sorry, dude, I'm busy. I got, uh, I got stuff to do. Okay, no. Thank you, guys. 
something I noticed about all three of your shows, the 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 double and, and both the solo shows, is there are there are kind of there's the DNA, there are the discoveries you've made and the things you're playing with. And then I wondered if I started to recognize tropes, if I started to recognize kind of, oh, like as we're coming in you're behind the curtain peeping at the audience in all three shows. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little bit of that. And I've seen Dr. Brown do that. And I feel like I've seen post Dr. Brown shows do that. Mm-hmm. And there is, uh, there are a couple of, there's a, like we talked a, bit, a little bit about this. You have a sort of a uh, kind of quality, yeah, which is sort of post Dr. Brown, which is like inspired by, and you wear the inspiration on your sleeve. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, is, is, I had to Google what that meant. What is that? It's like, What does that mean? Oh, you wear right. something on your sleeve, like it's it, you're, pride. You're, I, you're you're open about it. You're open about the. Uh, like yeah, I got yeah. so I many that, walkouts. Yeah, you know, rather than I had walkouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that the knights put uh, like a little cloth from their lady on the thing, so they. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's where that, it comes from. Yeah. You're, you're actually right. So I know that is where it comes from. So did you just ask that question so you could give the answer? No, I didn't understand completely what that meant in this context, or like what is the actual use of it? Because I I was like, yeah, that's what they meant back in the day, but I don't get. What it means now. It's just to be honest. All of us have okay. the cloth of our ladies on our sleeves. Yeah, right? cloth okay, so it just means so, open about it. Exactly. Yeah. So do you do you kind of do you feel like that kind of show? The the when Dr. Brown came to the UK, mm-hmm. no one had ever seen it before. And he's he's exceptional at it. But he also had that kind of like, no one's seen this before. And so he kind of stepped into the world and everyone lost their minds. So they're like, well, look, the Edinburgh Festival didn't really know about clowning. Mm-hmm. Which is not, I've never eccentric, was nominated or won it like twin, one of the first, second year, third year or something. So sure. there's clowns being around a like, long time. Yeah. 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 And then Trig sure. V followed that. Because I, I didn't see But that was after Dr. Brown, but just yeah, yeah. that has been clowny people like Avner Dex. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And as a, as a kind of veteran fringe goer, only of yeah. the last 26 years, so not that long by the standards of the festival, like I've seen kind of things, you know, something happens and there is clown, but then... Julian Cotterell. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it, it goes away and it comes back, and when it comes back, everyone loses their mind. And I always yeah. think of this with any, any act that takes the audience outside into the street. Yeah. If, you, if you're 20 and you've never seen anyone do that, it blows your mind and inspires you. Is that the bastard that did that? Yeah, oh, and, and Ben Tarje yeah. and the Doug Anthony All-Stars yeah. 10 or 20 years ago, you know, so like yeah. it, it goes back and it goes back and goes back. See Martin? Yeah, exactly. About it, no? Exactly. Yeah. So do you feel that you are, you, like is, is it in danger of becoming a genre of the, the sort of stuff you do? I think, I think there's a danger of people doing an idea of a genre. I think like we talked about this a bit in Montreal that, Everyone is, associates audience participation with Gaulier, but Gaulier detests audience participation, actively says, no, that's horrible, and will bang you off if you do that. Mm. But Phil made that his own thing, and I think did it in a really great way, or and then everyone face thought, even. yeah, tape face, and people thought, oh, that's clowning. Yeah, all this eye stuff, this, this like silence, eyes, this blocking at people. But Philippe hates grimaces. And he'll always yell at you if you make a face like that. Like, he hates that shit. A lot of the stuff people associate with Gaulier, he fucking hates. Like, it's, it's not stuff you get taught there. It's, it's stuff that people come out and do despite that training. Not, not because of it so, necessarily. So then I guess with, I, I think then, like, there are a lot of knockoffs of all these people. And I think at first, I told you, I also had a conversation with Trigby where I was like, hey, dude, I kind of feel like, like you and Phil are my biggest... And Tom Walker are like my three biggest inspirations right now. And I feel like I'm just kind of doing shittier versions of your shows. How do I find my own voice? And he was like, well, when I started doing that, everyone thought that I was just another, first I was a Dr. Brown bootleg. Then I wasn't, 
Then I was, or I was, I wasn't doing it enough. Then I was doing it too much. And then when he found Nautilus, he said he really felt like he found his own thing, and you just mm. have to wear someone else's clothes a bit until you find what works for you. Yeah, I mean, I, like, what's the risk of it being a genre anyway, right? Like, stand-up's a genre. No one cares that there's multiple people on stage telling jokes. Like, I mean, the, I, I don't think it matters so much. By virtue of it being you who's the one making a show and doing a show, it's going to be different. You know, provided you're not literally plagiarizing stuff, I think yeah. it's fine to play with tropes. Yeah, you maybe play that's with the tropes that inspire you. And I think we've always been pretty open about uh, embracing tropes that we like and embracing tropes that we don't like and playing with those, right? Like, I I don't think there's a, a, a risk of it becoming a genre. I think more people who do it, great. Uh, by virtue of it being them, it'll, it'll all be different. And I also think even with Tucker, like two two huge influences for that are uh, Tim Heidecker's live persona yeah. and Neil Hamburger. But also they're they're both totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, Neil's Neil's whole thing is like, oh, I have to do this horrible set that I don't want to do. And he obviously has his style of joke he does the whole time, which there aren't I don't have any of the same jokes. But like we both spill drinks, but it's not at all the same thing or Tim Key pops open a drink but mm-hmm. and everyone's like oh you gotta be careful everyone's gonna think you stole this and it's like yeah. well no dude he comes on a set he shakes open a beer and sprays it I never do that I have a loose beer in my pocket that yeah. falls out when I bend over for three minutes like it's you know we're, yeah. and we're aware of all because these because the idiot is like okay stand up stand up has a beer yeah. yeah that was the first time we even did this was I, I did Fast Fringe last year I did a horrible set but I was like I'm gonna try some stand up I've never done this what does a stand up do oh he's got a microphone and a beer cool I went out and I was so nervous that I was shaking that I was spilling the beer. And then that's when Goliath brain kicked in of like, yo, they're laughing. Just do it again. So yeah, I just kept spilling the beer and then that became a staple of yeah, Tucker. Yeah. And now we have those three staple beers. There's this cool interview with Ernest Hemingway in the Paris Review from like somewhere in the 50s. Whoa, we've got and, a real highbrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just going to change the way I'm yeah, sitting. Let's yeah, get into yeah. Hemingway. He, he talks about style, right? And how F. Scott Fitzgerald was really obsessed with like copying the style of the writers that inspired him and trying to make something that was like stylistically on that level. And Hemingway talks about how style is just the awkwardness with which you express yourself. So he, he says basically like it, it, it's not worth it to, to try to develop your own style at all. It's not worth it to be conscious of that. Just try to tell your story, try to get across whatever it is you have to get across. And by virtue of it being, of, of it coming through you and coming through that awkwardness that you try to express something, that's your style. And it, it's better to just try to tell something than filter it through someone else's awkwardness or your idea of someone else's style, right? Just, just do the thing. That'll make it stylistically individual. And then you, you can use your, your influences of how you want to perform it. Like, we love cabaret, we love music, yeah. we love burlesque. Like, I think Ruben Kay's showmanship is fantastic. I think the way that Betty Grumble does these, like she just commits to stuff and is so wild and crazy and that rock star vibe. I want to wear that. I love Sam Campbell's absurdity. I love Tom's physicality. Uh, you know, it's 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 like it, this Vigo's like just pure commitment, idiocy. Like it's all of these things you just try and do. I, I, I want to wear all of these things and then just... You, you, you put that in, you forget about it, and then you just yeah. go and do it. It's just trying thing. to do stuff you like. Yeah, that's it. And trying to do that as directly as possible. There's a, there's a funk band we work with, too, called Thumpasaurus, and the way that they just like kind of groove and go for it, if you can get everybody in that yeah. that like, like-minded, groovy space and get them on your rhythm, like then mm. you're, you're golden, you know? 
what do you struggle with? What things do you wish you were better at? What, th- what things do you, Johnny, wish they were better at? Um, I wish Zach... I, I, I mean, I, would, I wish both of them were better at... And, and they have improved at this, but um, maintaining composure uh, and not... Um, not getting pissed off when things don't go to plan, becoming more comfortable with things going uh, off on, the rails on stage. Yeah. 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 I mean, it used to be a real problem, especially, well, no, honestly with both of you guys, it used to be a real problem when things would like small things would go off the rails mm. and it would destroy a show and they would get angry and pretty immature and babyish about it. And j- it's like kids just throwing their toys out of the pram. It happened with me. The other day during that show, yeah, yeah, I think that's always been the biggest problem for both of you. Is it, like we, which is funny because we always say that things going wrong is a blessing, and that's when the best stuff happens. But so often things would go wrong, and it would just be like, "Well, fuck it all, then why even <laughs> yeah. why even do a fucking show?" It's so funny, it's, and there were such stupid things, and then like, yeah, it's like who cares? It's like it, it's shit. The audience is never even going to notice. Yeah. And it would just destroy a show. <laughs> but then, and but then destroy them emotionally as well. Yeah. Right? And if a curtain falls down, which is arguably way worse than anything else, we're like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, no. So little things going wrong. Yeah, it's like you, you're, you're not, not getting... quite in the gear of, great, a mistake. You're in the gear of, oh, fuck, I was trying to do something. Or yeah. it is like being in the shit and flopping. It's like people say, yeah, you, you guys are so comfortable there. It's like, no, no, it's hard every time. And that's what you do at school. You don't learn anything, but you try yeah. to go where it's dangerous. And that yeah. is they, this difficult all the yeah. time. If you're bombing, it's dangerous. Exactly. Because it difficult. does hurt, right? Like yeah, it, it is it really scary to be in that place. And if it's not scary, then you're not really flopping and you're not yeah. really going to be funny. And also when you flop, it's not like the clown flop versus the stand-up flop. It's like, oh, your joke's bad. But if it's clown, it's like, oh, no, you are bad. Yeah. And we hate you. But then this ties into the Gaulier bulletproof and just even his school experience. You still have to always remember, we don't hate you. We hate the version that we see on stage right now. Yeah. But you as the person. We love you as the person. But whatever but, bullshit you're bringing on. Yeah, we don't like this because we see beyond that. Yeah. We have so much more than what you're offering us right now. Yeah. It would be like a minor audience direction not going to plan yeah. and then just... Or us being unprepared up. and doing a shitty set and then being yeah. upset when people weren't laughing. You yeah, know? it's like, well, whose fault is that? Yeah. <laughs> Johnny's. <laughs> and is it, did it, like, when you hear Johnny say that, does part of you think, well, yeah, you haven't got to be there? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're not, like, it's all very well to kind of sit outside of it and go, well, you're getting annoyed about something because he isn't risking as much as you are because he's mm-hmm. not on stage. I've definitely felt that sometimes. I remember in Pepita when it was going bad, you were just leaning back and I was like, help me, I'm suffering. <laughs> <laughs> and but now I feel like in Tucker, you found a way, like you can kind of like, you help each other yeah. in a positive mood. I agree. I mean, I think Tucker is a, a way that we've found to... To encourage each other out of it. Yeah. Especially if it's going poorly, it's not like, well, fuck this guy. It's like, yo, we got to get out yeah, of this. Yeah, what can we yeah. do? Yeah, and, yeah. and oftentimes it's pretty easy now. It's just playing sad music. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing quick pickup to like, oh, yeah. you can communicate and yeah. remind him yeah. and you can direct. Yeah, exactly. It's it, So instead of the way it used to be where I'd have to yell at him and sometimes actually give a pep talk, pep talk under the, the guise of like, this being part of the comedy. Oh, you would do that? Yeah. How would you do that? It, it was just like, 
move on just do the bit yeah, just do the fucking show just do like, the bit. Yeah. like no one cares about that let's just do the show Zach. but like, nobody wants to see it yeah <laughs> and we'd play a little bit and it, but it would be genuine underneath that so you yeah the play. And so you get to adopt the goalie position you get to like, I'm gonna bang you off yeah. I'm, I'm literally banging you off with a sound cue yeah, yeah. Um, banging you off this shitty idea to do your show do the fucking show that do the planned. show that you've you've contractually been obliged to do Jesus oh these people stop being a baby do the yeah. fucking show it sounds yeah. incredibly like I'm just thinking as a stand up if I had if I had an external rather than just the internal voice going fuck this isn't working yeah. if I had someone going that's not working move on but <laughs> benevolently like yeah. to help me painfully yeah. Yeah. that's incredible because I also know it's that thing too you can get caught mentally in in this idea of like oh everyone but it's like no Everyone walks into a theater hoping that they see the best show of their life. Yeah, we all want we to all, enjoy we it. We all want it to succeed. And as the performer as well, it's like, man, if you don't believe, this is where I think that delusion comes in again. Every night I'm hoping this is the best night of my life. Because mm-hmm. if it is, it's going to be so much fun for everybody. And I like, and if you guys are willing to accept that this is going to be the best night you're going to see, then we might actually have the best night. And it's funny had. how the insistence on that actually works, even if you don't buy it. Like in Tucker... We have these bits programmed in, as you see, with uh, him stopping. And we go to the inspirational light and the music. And this is the best night of my life. (laughs) This is the greatest crowd I've ever performed to. No matter what. We do that every show. Yeah. And it's 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 a reminder to us. And I think it helps them. It's yeah. also like Husey. It's Husey, yeah. Husey yeah, was like, like, like you're a great crowd, never forget you're that. You're a great crowd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you know, do you know Dave Hughes, right? Yeah, I don't. I haven't really seen his act. I haven't seen much of it. He's, he's like he's, Michael McIntyre, successful, big, yeah, and like, we're sure. like, oh, Hughes is selling out okay. the garden. And, and then we back. actually watch his stuff, and he's We love great. it. He's so charming. <laughs> he's just a great, charming, sweetest guy. It's good jokes, and he keeps going, you're a great crowd, never forget it. Yeah. And we're like, we never forget it. But he says it like a mantra and he'll say it every time something doesn't go as well as he wants or some when things go even better than he expects yeah, yeah. and you're a great crowd never forget that he'll say it like 20 times in a five minute set yeah just so as this reminder Amazing. and i think having that attitude whether it's like a mantra like that or, or a joke like we do it it's valuable no matter what it's also just subconsciously yeah putting it in their yeah, brains very then, good l- last night's show for example wasn't the best show. It wasn't bad, but there were times where like, okay, there's that tension after a joke. I'm like, man, this is the best night I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And then it bursts in, we all relax. And I think yeah. it's kind of a subconscious way of saying, hey, I, I'm aware of the tension in the room. I know how that went. Like, it's okay. Yeah. But here's this next and you, thing. And you're acknowledging, you're not saying, well, that didn't work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do you mean? Yeah. You're, like, that's the, the you're, It's your... We get it. The, the value of it is the same, but it, the flavor of it is up, not down. Exactly. Yeah, you got to acknowledge the flop without like telling them it's bad, kind of. Yeah, yeah. In a way. You, Vigo's also really inspired me with that. Like, I, I don't remember how exactly it was worded, but anytime we ever felt that discomfort, instead of backing it out, just like like kiss, like blow someone a kiss, or just like tell, like fall in love with someone, do something really positive in that moment instead, and mm-hmm. all that like deep fear you feel. Just flip it the other way and make it yeah. super positive. Oh god! I mean, this—that's like a self-help. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I love it's it. It's also but funny yeah. Yeah. when you're so much tension, then you go like, "Yes!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good the moment when yeah. they're like, yeah. "Oh, he knows yeah. he's that, bad by being so happy." Yeah. Yeah. That's my point. Is that it doesn't yeah. have to be real to work, right? You can you can have that positivity be fake, and it, it has. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And does that? does that then and the reason I say it's like self-help is like that sounds like oh it's probably applicable to life to what extent does 
you know, there is a kind of, I know, I know there is some sort of like, I, I, I haven't seen any, but I feel that the, there is some sort of like clowning as therapy. Like you can probably, I'm sure in LA, you can go to some kind of sacred clown oh, thing. Yeah. To, you know. Oh yeah. Oh fine, that is real. I've not but just imagined no, it. I mean, I've been in many workshops and there's people there who does it completely out of that. But And I, I, per, I, don't, I have mixed feelings on that. I don't think, I don't think if you're doing it in a theatrical space, people should be using it for self-help. And I agree. always says, it's not therapy. If you need therapy, then you should go to a therapist. Therapy. Sure. This sure, is sure. not, yeah. But I do believe that this has positively affected my life where if something is going shit, I can like kind of just, you can laugh at it. Cause the basic thing of Golia is if you're good at being bad, then you're fine yeah. because everyone's good at being good. Yes. If you can be good at being bad, the bad stuff's not bad anymore without fully ignoring the actual responsibilities and problems in one's life. You know, <laughs> sure. But if you miss, if you miss the bus, if you can train yourself to think, huh. yes, you walk in somewhere instead of being, Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. I missed yeah, the bus. Hey, I missed the bus. I was in London doing my first preview at Pepito in Oslo. Yeah. Rocked up to the wrong airport. Yeah. <laughs> I had to call the bar and like, yeah, can I do the gig tomorrow? <laughs> Message yeah. 70 people. Yeah. 50 of them came the day after. Damn. That was but so that's great. Like, if he misses a flight or a bus or something, instead of being like, oh my God, I fucking hate this guy. It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People like, not really, excuse like, that. Yeah. We, the, we've yeah. been in really dire situations before on tour and sometimes shit goes really bad. And we just look at each other and laugh at that. We were, I mean, what we've we've lived in abandoned offices in Copenhagen with no showers. We squatted a, an empty apartment in Paris. Yeah, it was not ours. And then we were, and then the landlord came while we to were do an open house while we were, we were sleeping on the floor. On the floor there, we were staying at our friend's place in LA, which was basically like a drug den. He did not take care of it well, yeah. and then we were just there, and he had like. He would buy we clothes cleaned for him. We cleaned it. He had, he had garbage bags full of clothes that he had just bought over three years that he never washed. He would just buy new clothes. And me and Vigo were eating. We had salsa from our burritos a few days before, bought like $2 bag of chips, got the salsa out of the garbage. We're eating chips and salsa and being like, hey, one, one day this is going to be pretty funny. <laughs> it's been really dire, but yeah. there's that feeling of, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like the clown stuff has affected at least me personally in that. I'm not that worried about the future anymore. Like I used to be really anxious and now I'm not, I, I, there is this inherent faith I, I have now that things are going to be fine because things so far have always wound up fine and that it's okay to not know what's going to happen. I think that's the biggest thing I got out of it from a life perspective. Uh, I used to be really concerned about not knowing what was going to happen next in my life and how I was going to get my next paycheck or how, what job I was going to do next or you know anything. And now I'm less worried about that. And I think that comes out of the, that clown thing of, yeah, well, whatever happens, happens. And we just roll with that and have as much fun as you possibly can. Try to follow the fun wherever. Yeah, follow the yet. fun. It's nice. I was always really shy um, before as well. And it's uh, just to go to different countries. I was so like, definitely helped me just be like, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy to see. Yeah. I think that's also contributed to this like eternal optimism. That's also just pure clown of like, Ah, today's not my day, but tomorrow. Goro will come. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow's the day. We have that, the last great hammer stand is a... (laughs) It's not worth getting into. It's not worth getting into. It's just a philosophy we've made of like... This might not be it, but (laughs) the next time. Yeah, it's exactly. Always be it. It's all—it's it's always the next time, and when it's that one, then there's always a next, next one, and then that's the one. But then after that one, that next one's the one. <laughs> yeah. You just so you just you just keep going always. Last question: Where where can it go? What do you where do you want it to go? What's like Broadway? Kind of blue sky, 
biggest dream. We want to fire Vigo out of a cannon. That's yeah. our on Broadway. Yeah. We want, I want to do a show where we... That is a specific measurable goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to we all want to talk to a guy who builds cannons. Yeah, yeah we do. Hey, our, friends, our friends from Circle Fonz know a guy who builds cannons. Elastic cannons. And then we can do some, uh, some flash paper or, or gunpowder next to it. So you guys said gunpowder. He said, no, absolutely not. Sure. Sure. We told the clowns they're not allowed no, gunpowder. No, no. I hear oh, you. Yeah. Blink, blink. Um, <laughs> no, look, hopefully we get on TV and that... Imp- gives us a bigger market. I think we just want to keep doing this and we would like to do this with more financial stability and more of, uh, of a practical means in life. I would like to have a room somewhere. Yeah, I want a laundry, laundry basket. basket. Yeah. Laundry laundry basket. basket. Yeah. To me, laundry basket is the, uh, that's the symbol of stability, you know, yeah. and not just having to wear your dirty clothes in your backpack with yeah. the rest of your other clean clothes and toothbrush. And if, if we all <laughs> have a laundry basket and a room and we can keep doing this, then we're good. <laughs> but but the real so goal good. is firing Vigo out of a can. Yeah. <laughs> but it would, be, it would be to do yeah to do some TV. We would love to turn Stamptown into a live series as well, the variety show that we run. Yeah, um, yeah and then to make a new show. We also want to do uh, a tour of all the NBA halftime shows in America to do Zach and Vigo <laughs> halftime shows. I have a friend who works for the LA Clippers, and so he told us he could get us in there, and we just need to make sure that we can. I think I would want to film a documentary doing a. Doing every single halftime show. No. It's more of Zach's dream. But I'm definitely no, I'm not. <laughs> but we met. I play basketball in Norway only. And we, like, not yeah. many. And you play basketball. That would be good. Also, I've never been to Israel before. And Vigo wants to film me going to Israel for the first time. <laughs> and to a documentary about me going there. We want to make a Jack Tucker series. Win some Emmys for that. Yeah. I would like a new pair of glasses. Yeah. yeah. That'd be nice to afford that. Um, we just want to keep making stuff, man. I, I think Vigo and I would also like to stop wearing each other's underwear. I think we both have a few. Pairs. I never wear your underwear. Okay, I have a bunch of Vigo's underwear. I have a lot of stampon shirts, though. Yeah, Vigo did. We just finally got merch this year that we obviously we we didn't sell any of it. Oh, we sh- we should give you a shirt by the oh, way. Yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't sell any of it because we wouldn't have turned a profit on our venues. Uh, Merch splits, so we've just given them away. <laughs> All right, let's find a really nice uh, philosophical and meaningful out for this podcast. Mm-hmm. If you don't got no sauce, you lost, but, but you, you can, can also get, get lost in, in the, the sauce. sauce. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. So that's the boys. I basically floated out of this uh, this interview. I was it injected me with such. Uh, a sense of fun and joy that carried me through the rest of the day, if not the rest of the whole festival. Um, do check out what they're up to. Go and see them if you're anywhere near them. I imagine they reside mostly in America, but it does sound like they ping around the world doing all the festivals there are. So remember that's uh, zachandvigo.com or zach underscore vigo on social media. Uh, they also have a comedy night called Stamptown, which I believe is stamptowncomedy.com. Um, at the end of this episode, uh, at the end of the recording, I turned off the recording equipment moments before, you know, the moment sort of post-podcast where everyone turns their phones back on, uh, just as Zach got notification that he had received a one-star review. And whether or not the person writing the review had completely misunderstood his show, Jack Tucker, which is one of the best things I saw at Edinburgh this year, um, that's up for debate. I'm sure that's up for grab someone's understanding or not. That's a matter of opinion. What is not up for debate is that it sent them into this incredibly joyful, fist-pumping, high-fiving run around the room because that meant he'd had what they called the rainbow, which is a five, a four, a three, a two, and a one. Um, And uh, it was just marvellous. It was such a great moment to be a part of. 
And it really made me think, oh, yeah, when it comes to reviews, other opinions are available. Sometimes I suppose in my in my kind of mantra on this podcast and in life that reviews don't exist, the industry doesn't exist, reviews aren't for us, they're for the public. Um, I suppose somewhere in that is me being deliberately lofty about reviews because they hurt me <laughs> or they have the potential to hurt me. I certainly believe that if you if you accept the fives, you've got to accept the ones. Um, so I suppose I've kind of spun that into a sort of personal motto about never reading them and not being part of them. You'll have heard me say on the show before, maybe it would be smarter to just be able to read them and not care. Maybe that's like another level above in the same way that my current level of, hey guys, I don't read them, is probably one level below just not reading them and not mentioning it. But uh, a, a listener called Andy got in touch. So let's let's go into this now. Let's just do some quick thank yous and then we'll we'll talk about... Uh, reviews and maybe you can get in touch about them thank you before we do that to rob smouten for the music podcast consultant pete dobbing uh, thanks to uh, jake crossland for logging the episode and of course nathan wood our editor and producer thanks to all of those people um you can follow us on social media at comcompod you can get in touch info at comedianscomedian.com and you can bloody well go to gigsandtours.com and uh, get yourself some tickets for the dollop live uh, all over the UK. That's Glasgow, Cardiff, Manchester, Birmingham and two shows in London. The second of those is on the 22nd November. Don't miss that or their special podcast, The Dollop, England and the UK. But the basic dollop, The Dollop, is excellent. So don't miss that either. Right, that concludes the show. If you'd like to stick around, we'll talk about Andy's email. Bye for now. So this isn't technically a, a postamble. This is a this is an addressing of a thing. I might just read this out in in whole. Just listening, says Andy. Just listening to the Sarah Barron episode. Brilliant as ever. I had some thoughts after you laid into reviewers again. Uh oh. I read this thinking, oh god, did I? Did we? We probably did. Full disclosure: I'm someone who's worked as a reviewer in music rather than comedy. Although I have worked for a publication that reviews comedians. I wouldn't strictly refer to myself as a reviewer now, although I do write a column for music where the content's often described as reviews. I don't call it that because I only write about stuff I think is great and it exists to try to get people to listen to that music. I'm also in it very laudable. I'm also in a situation where stuff like... That was me, not him. I'm also in a situation where stuff I write is critiqued, which is one of the reasons I stopped using social media. I don't think reading criticism of my work, positive or negative, is helpful to me in any way. I either end up obsessing over the opinion of one person who doesn't like me or pandering to another who does. I think I work better when I just try to entertain myself. Anyway, that was longer than it was meant to be, but I thought it was worth giving a bit of background before I go on. The subject of reviewers often comes up on your podcast. I think the points on them are very valid. Reviewers aren't, reviews aren't for the person being written about, but they do serve a purpose to others. Of all art forms that get reviewed, which I guess is all of them, stand-up comedy seems to be the one where the rev- performers actively despise reviewers the most. I don't know about that, Andy. I just think you get to hear about the way in which we despise reviewers, or we can and sometimes do despise reviewers, in a way that you've really got to seek out interviews with Björk, say, or whoever... Um, not that I have any feelings about her feelings about reviewers, but, you know, random music star. You have to seek out their opinions because they're unlikely to write a song about reviewers, where comics are a bit more likely to do material about them and constantly be broadcasting. But he continues. Um, 
I get why that would be, given you're likely to be someone working on your own who can feel attacked by them. Sure. The thing that struck me in this latest podcast, which prompted me to write this now far too long email, was where you said you get your management to add quotes to your show blurbs. I often hear comedians talking of reviewers in terms of being people who shouldn't exist. Not you, but many comedians, thank you. Uh, I say they don't exist, not that they shouldn't. But then still put stars and quotes on their posters. That's always seemed weird to me. Fair point. He says, I think your point about being able to see who reviewers are is a good one. Oh, that's the point I was making, one of those publications, yes. Quite often that person's view will be one you don't respect. They might well be talking to their peers, which possibly does give them a valid position in that regard. Fair. Also, they may be more well-versed in what they're talking about than you give them credit for. There's a balance between expert and someone able to talk to people on the same level. Still, I assume, like me, anytime you see a film trailer where it's filled with opinions from the public, you assume the film is terrible. Good point. Christ, this is long now. Sorry, too long, didn't read. Reviewers are almost certainly idiots, but they're not talking to you. And if comedians hate them so much, they should stop putting stars on their posters. Andy, thank you for that well-reasoned thing. I give it three stars. <laughs> no, I um, I totally get where you're coming from. And obviously, it's arguably smacks of hypocrisy to say, oh, reviews don't exist, and then use them to sell the show. I suppose what I'm the people to whom I'm talking are artists. I'm talking to comics um, and anyone, I mean, I'm talking to everyone, but I suppose when I talk about reviews not existing, I'm saying that to comics because it is helpful for our mental health and for our creative pro- our creative process to, I think, to imagine that reviews don't exist. Obviously, reviews do exist, and obviously they can make and to a far less extent break a fringe run or a you know any any wherever you are. If you get three five-star reviews on day one, you're going to have a fantastic time. One well, would imagine you're going to have a fantastic time uh, uh, career-wise, possibly, even if you don't enjoy it, even if the reviews lead to the wrong sort of people, in inverted commas, coming to see your show. Um, I feel the same about competitions. Of course they fulfil a function. Of course any way of getting more known is useful, but I still maintain that it's not useful to aim oneself at competition, to practice specifically for competition, I, I think those are ways of kind of stymieing or stifling is the word, stifling your creativity. So when I say reviews don't exist or competitions don't exist or the industry doesn't exist, I don't mean that in real terms it doesn't exist. I'm saying it is not helpful for oneself, brackets if oneself is the artist, to to focus on them. It's much more helpful to behave as if they don't. And I say helpful towards the point of art, not towards the point of career, I think it's better if you imagine that they don't exist in much the same way as I often think if I'm feeling blue about comedy or if I've, I've given other people this advice. If you imagine that no other comedians exist and that you alone in the world discovered that one of the things you can do is write jokes and say them on stages and make a living at that, it's it's obviously not useful to imagine no other comics exist, but for the sake of that thought experiment, it does remind you to accept and be happy about what you have. So I suppose ultimately what I'm saying is when I say reviews don't exist or if I'm slating about reviewers, I'm being glib. I don't mean it for real, but I... And I do, I really do take on board what you say. I thought you you made your point really well, Andy. Um, But I think that I'm operating from the position of it doesn't help my art to believe in reviews and reviewers. It helps my career, perhaps, which is why I would get my management to deal with that end of it. But I suppose what I'm saying is, uh, of course they exist, but I'm going to keep saying that they don't exist because that is an underlying message. That's a kind of 
that's a sort of steel reinforcement in the concrete of, uh, of my mental health to go, well, of course they don't exist. The reality is they do. Is that, is that clear? That's where I'm coming from. If you, you the listener, uh, have an alternative view, feel free to tweet at ComComPod or uh, uh, email me info at comedianscomedian.com if your thoughts cannot be restricted to a couple of hundred characters. Um, I'm really happy to continue that. Maybe we could start a thread about it on the uh, the Facebook group, which now has over 7,000 people. So thank you to every single one of you uh, if you've joined the Facebook group. Um, and, uh, yeah, what do you think? Do you think uh, reviews exist? Do you think it's, like... I mean, that's there is a hypocrisy there, isn't there, to sort of go, oh, I don't read them, they're not... Well, it, it's not hypocritical. I don't read them, they're not for me. But I do want them to exist, but I wish they didn't. Like... It's, what's the word? Is it like a zero-sum game or something? You know, like uh, all moose have antlers. All male moose have antlers. But antlers make you powerful and good at fighting, but they also get you trapped in trees. Uh, so it would be better for all moose if no moose had antlers. But if one moose is going to have antlers, all male moose need to have antlers to be able to fight back, you see? So there might be something like that. Like, it would be better if reviews didn't exist, but as long as one person is publishing their opinion, everyone has to participate in that game. Until they achieve a sort of, you know, level of uh, entirely selling out shows on social media and mailing lists and stuff, such that you can do that Gina Yashere, get your fucking 20 quid out, mate, approach. Anyway, that's that. Get in touch if you like. Um, thank you once again to Zach and Vigo and Johnny. It's just such a joy to listen back to that episode. Oh, makes me feel great. Speak to you soon. There's some crackers coming up. Bye for now. 